Well, charges. Talk shoes. All right, recorded live. All right, well, there we are. Uh, I guess I'm going to go ahead and do the show tonight for Sony. She has to do some personal stuff, so welcome, everybody. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, get this done without her. And uh, what was your name, sir? I, I missed you. You were, you were He was giving some really good um, uh, advice. If you would pick it up where we just left off, it would be helpful to start the call. I'm idiote. So you were talking about the fact that, what, and we were responding to it, that, that a lot of times what we're doing is we're studying much like a new language um, where you need to immerse yourself. And I was mentioning that I found that the one time I got charged with two criminal charges, uh, which was carrying a total of six years, the most ridiculous thing in your life, somebody stole my sailboat, and I actually had called for their help, and they gave me two tickets after I called them for help because I didn't have a life jacket on and I didn't have a whistle when I was in a foot and a half of water on a, on a uh, blow-up flotation device. Um, you know, I could have, you know, I told them, I said, what am I going to do? Put on the life jacket, fall in the water, lay down in the water and blow a whistle. This freezing cold it doesn't make any sense. I'd stand up and walk to shore, okay? Um, and they actually put a warrant because I, I, sent a, I had another case in the civil court, and uh, this is ridiculous. I sent a letter to the judge, and I said, if I don't hear from you, then I assume that you went ahead and dismissed it. Well, I found out a couple of years later, they actually had a warrant out for me because I didn't show up in court. How ridiculous <laughs> is this? I ended up winning that case, though, because uh, as, as, it would, as it would have, I fought it in my usual form. But in this particular case, what happened was the, 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 uh, the asshole cop uh, that was really an asshole in every way. I was scared to death, this guy. Um, you know, he's acting aggressive, and I'm trying to say, hey, my boat's been stolen. And anyway, and, and then I found it before because it took him so long to get there. But anyway, uh, he didn't he didn't even recognize me because I came in dressed nicely like, like an attorney, and we talked about how you want to pretend like, you know, almost look like one of them, you want to emulate one of them, uh, which makes more sense than to come in there uh, clearly looking different and don't act any different. And that's another tech, technique that I've learned uh, stubbornly, I must admit. Um, but I, I learned it quicker because when I first got out of the military, I grew my hair long and I was getting arrested every two weeks. And then I finally cut my hair and I didn't get arrested at all. I thought, oh, okay, well, it's their prejudice and it's wrong, but you know, sometimes you have to do what you got to do. But then the, uh, the second one, they charged him with uh, abandoning the vessel and it charged me with dumping over 500 pounds, which was completely ridiculous. You go look at the statutes, it's 500 pounds, anything over 500 pounds at or near the shoreline. It clearly means you're talking about a truck backing a truck up, not a boat that's run aground. So um, all that was nonsense. But, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the usual scare tactics, trying to get you to settle or something to that. And I was like, hell no. And, um, and what I did that particular time, I guess you could call it motivation, I sat down and I, for 18 straight hours, did nothing but read from basically the beginning to the end of the Maryland Code so that I could read everything it was in. And it was the annotated code so I could actually read case law. And that's very helpful too, by the way. Um, you always want to try to do the annotated one because what it does, it gives you an idea, right or wrong, it gives you an idea of, this, of how they interpret it and how they read the statute. So if you don't understand the statute, which most of the time the way it's written, you won't. Uh, until you get the, you know, learning how to read this new language. Um, and then once you get the, learning how to read this language, you're going to find out they don't abide by it because they don't know how to read it and they don't read it. So that's where the, the, the you know, you might call it shock syndrome is coming on is because once you finally understand the law and you can clearly read the law and, and they're not abiding by it. And that's, 
completely blows you away until you finally, years later, realize, oh, my God, they really are corrupted. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no excuse, and I've seen a thousand times where these people make excuses. Oh, you're a 14th Amendment citizen. Oh, you became a surety this. La, 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 di da. I've studied all those and chased all those rabbit holes, and they end up, in the end, no, because that's not the intent of the law, and that's kind of the, one of the things I wanted to share Tonight is going back to foundation fundamentals again, which is a contract of law, law of contract. And it has to do with intent. Any statute, any law that's put in there, even at the unanimous, even the unanimous Declaration of Independence and the beginning of the Constitution, they always lay down the foundation. What is the purpose for which it was created? And I think a lot of us miss that, that we need to lay that foundation first. What was the intent of this statute? What was the intent of this law? What was the intent of this? And once you lay that down, now it's difficult because intent is ten-tenths of the law. And this, this show I've been watching, I got, unfortunately, addicted, and you know, I watch it whenever I'm eating. That's my excuse. I get to watch something to take my mind off of things when I'm eating since I can't type and write otherwise while I'm eating. And it's called uh, Drop Dead Diva. And uh, um, Luella got me turned on. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. But now that I'm into another season, second and third and fourth season, it's getting more and more uh, legal stuff. And it's very uh, interesting that without you even knowing it, you're getting a legal education. Um, and it's very helpful. To, to, and it shows that the one who's on top, the one who knows the statute, the one who knows the case law, is the one that's going to win the case uh, you know, off the top of their fingers. And it shows how corrupted they are. So there's all of that. Um, but what I went to in, in that particular case was, was um, I showed without saying anything, I just basically said I don't have any knowledge of any dumping of over 500 pounds. I have no knowledge of any um, abandoning a vessel. So I kind of put them into a box. And the only way that I knew to do what I, what I was doing was because I sat down for 18 straight hours and read from beginning to end. And out of reading it from beginning to end, the code along with the, uh, uh, the case law so that I could understand it, I then formulated a strategy. And that's one thing I've learned lately and I've been sharing with people. If you don't have a strategy, you're going to lose because that's what it's all about. It's about a strategy. They have a strategy, and their strategy has been so successful that they don't have um, what you would call fast-on-your-feet strategy. The beauty is now, and if you listen to the recording of what uh, Steve was talking about uh, on the last show, he's saying he loves it when he does this stuff because they fall right into the same pit. Because they've been getting away with this criminal activity for so long, they don't even know it's criminal activity. So their whole thing is, you know, threat intimidate. You know, first it's deception. It's always deception. Then threat and intimidation. Then more deception. And then they pull stuff out of their ass. And uh, knowing that people very seldom will, will uh, shepherd, which means to go look at the cases that they bring in and make sure that it really is saying what it's saying, because 99% of the time it doesn't. Um, and you also know that they're not going to read what you put in there. They don't care what you put in there. You're, you're on the bad side. You're a bad person. And they're all just going through motions to make it look like uh, some sort of a judicial process. That's why 18 U.S.C., Subsection uh, 242 is so powerful because what they're doing is color of law. When you understand what their strategies are, you know that they're going to be, you know, uh, throwing on the first, second, and third down. They're going to be throwing, you know, whatever it is that they're going to be doing. They're going to be doing button hooks. Whatever it is, you know that they're going to be doing that same strategy. You then can create a strategy to, to either use it to your, which I like to do, use their strategy 
to my best advantage. In other words, turn a disadvantage into an advantage. Because as, as um, I was just listening to um, uh, Angela Stark, my private audio the, from last week, and the guy was talking about the IRS, and how he's finally coming up with a strategy that is actually winning and what it is, he's saying, he's saying you will not win in that court. And he tells you that in that court, it's, a, it's another branch of government, uh, Article One court, and and he says that you won't win because they the way they have it laid out is that you have to prove a negative, which you can't do, although I'm going to share with you how to do that tonight. Um, but that's one of the biggest things is that they make an accusation uh, based on nothing uh, except hearsay, and that's where he's winning is to is to, you know, not make any claims, do anything but coming back and saying, well, this is hearsay, and even if it's under the exception rule, that you can then say that the the hearsay within the hearsay, in other words, just because it's within the exception rule, the document itself, the information that is within that document also has to comport to the exception to the hearsay rule, and it can't. So he's been he's been pounding them on that, which usually, as we know, just delay, 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 because they never let go of anything. You know, once they got a hold, they don't ever let go. They want to pound it into the ground, and as we've always said, you always want to be the plaintiff. So to turn it around. Um, so, um, so again, you know, where we start off tonight, repetition, repetition. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely repetition. And, and, and then go back to the simple things. Like I have gone back and actually listened to some of the audios that I was on before. I was like, holy crap, I didn't know I knew that back then. You know, you forget a lot of stuff and you were right on, but you didn't, I didn't know how right on I was at that time. But now having studied more law, read more cases, I go, oh, yeah, you're right on. But is the ability to use those tools, to use – you can have knowledge. But if you don't know how to use the tool, if you don't know how to use the weapon, it won't – it's not going to help you out. And I think that's more of what I've been trying to address and help people is the strategies that you have to have. Like I said, um, one of the best quotes that, that, that I've found – and as I say, I found it in my own document because I had no idea where it came from. And it was just a note that I put there. It said, just because the legal system has been running roughshod over the law does not mean that the law is impotent, but merely gathering evidence for the day when justice returns. And really what, what's that saying is that when we, when we finally figure out how to make the system work the way it was intended to work, we could force them, box them in and make it work then justice will return. And that seems to come under us bringing a suit. Knowing this, knowing that we're being injured, knowing that we're being damaged um, as, as a result of their activities, we now have the upper hand um, because we, can, we now are beginning to realize that you don't want to defend yourself. What you want to do is gather evidence for your, your case. You know that you're not going to win in this case, in this court, and you're not going to win in the appeals court. And like in Maryland, you're not going to win in the court of special appeals or the court of appeals. And um, so you have to gather the evidence for your 42-1983 deprivation of rights suit. And you have to become the plaintiff. And as we've learned many times, um, sometimes you have to ignore the issue that they're trying to put in front of you. For instance, it's not about taxes. It's not about collecting a debt. It's not about a you being in default and a foreclosure. Okay, these are the things that, they're, that are coming in under. And what you want to do is show, uh, you bring your own claim and you're saying, hey, I've been injured in this way. I've been injured in that way. And I've been injured in this way. They have 
violated the deed of trust. They have violated the note. They have um, the court is enforcing it. They're attempting to enforce contract that does not exist. They're attempting to enforce law that does not exist or statute. And then, as you heard Steve talk about last uh, last last week, he's talking about once you learn the statute, you use it against them because you can see clearly they're not authorized to do that which they're trying to do. Now tonight, I found. Um, it's called, it's really fascinating. If you guys don't know this, let me go ahead and find these websites for you. It's under Living Lies. Um, let see if I can find it again. Here it is. Living Lies, L-I-V-I-N-G, L-I-E-S. If someone would type that in, it would be great. Dot WordPress.com. And it's going to be forward slash 2016 forward slash 04, forward slash 06, forward slash the hyphen emergence hyphen of hyphen post hyphen traumatic hyphen foreclosure hyphen disorder, forward slash, uh, yeah, that, that'll, that'll work. And uh, you, could probably go, you could probably Google it. It's called uh, um, post-traumatic foreclosure disorder. And somebody wrote a really great article here uh, and it's talking about the same thing as PTSD, post-traumatic uh, syndrome. What is it? Post-traumatic. I can't remember what the full one is. Post-traumatic uh, PT. Post-traumatic syndrome. What is it? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Thank you. Post-traumatic stress disorder, and. And when you go read this article, you're going to feel a lot, you're not going to, you know, you'll feel better only because you realize, oh, my God, these are the symptoms I've been going through. Always being on guard for danger, trust is diminished in people in the system, overwhelming guilt or shame, self-destructive behavior such as drinking too much or driving too fast, trouble uh, concentrating, trouble sleeping, being easily startled or frightened, shame, another negative and paralyzing emotion. Now, what was really, and it goes on. There's a whole bunch of stuff here. It's like, oh, holy crap, I went through all that. I've been through all this. And that's what I was talking about before is to emulate, when I talk about emulating my, my mentor, is his whole brain, his whole aspect of things. And I realized that he's never been traumatized because he's always stayed ahead of the curve. And for most of us, we've been traumatized already. And this is a natural reaction. And, in fact, there's a... Um, a um, a video which is called uh, Legal Abuse Syndrome, and there might be other links coming out. I'm just beginning, but it's showing this woman is bringing charges and saying the courts themselves are causing injuries on us. And she's gotten the permission. Let me see what the – yeah, it's, well, it's been a while. So I have to follow up on it. But what she's saying is that the courts themselves are causing trauma, uh, in, in, in everything that they're doing because of the staging, just the staging alone, and you've got these guys with arms. We've all talked about this. But uh, it's actually a tort. It's an injury upon upon our being. Um, and I think it's rather interesting. And it's on YouTube, and it's called Legal Abuse Syndrome. And I'm going to follow up on it. It's older than I thought. It's 2008. But I still think it's appropriate, and it might be worthy to, to follow up. Um so it's it's there's clear evidence that that there's abuse going on, and and I think this is really where we need to go to. Now I wanted to share with you something new, which is actually old. I won't do my file yet again, 
And I looked at the alleged assignments. And I've looked at them a thousand times, read through them. I know that Brian Burnett's a robo-signer. I got through SalemMassachusetts.com, I believe it is. Register of Deeds, Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, Register of Deeds, I believe it is, .com. I'll look it up again. Um, and you can get an affidavit. You can, they have a list of robo-signers, and you get an affidavit from um, Mr. O- O'Brien who um, will sign it for you, saying that this is a known surrogate or robo-signer, which is just another tool that doesn't win a case. It's just another tool. Not that the courts give a crap whether it was done or not. The issue that the courts are concerned about is their debt collector. They are acting as a debt collector, much like the IRS courts. So knowing this, the whole thing, that their whole assumption and presumption is that you're in default or you're in debt, that you owe a debt. And I've been attacking that and saying from day one that that's what we need to attack. Well, there's another issue that I found when I looked at these alleged assignments. Now, um, they have, in my particular case, they have the note which is signed twice by the same, by two different people from the same alleged bank, IndyMac Bank. And there's no date on it, okay? And it's also left blank. So there's, there's two major problems right there. It's left blank. It's not signed and, and right paid to the order of bearer or some other, or pay or, or cash or some other indication that the bearer is entitled to payments. And that's almost a direct quote out of um, um, UCC3, which is what they're calling it. And I've done a whole thing on that, that it is not a negotiable instrument. There's no way it can be a negotiable instrument. And the fact that the courts are using the UCC3 negotiable instruments in order to allow a signature in blank, which even under their own rules is not a signature in blank, it is left blank, and it is completely... Uh, it is it is uh, what is incomplete. Okay, that's what it's called, and I've had case law on this. It's incomplete. In fact, the court case says it's so incomplete as to not be able to defraud. So we now have I now have evidence in case law, which clearly states that it, that anything that says pay to the order of and is left blank that it's incomplete, as well as the fact there's another section in another case where it says not having a date. How are you supposed to know? when the transfer was made, if there's no date. And the, the reason for that is important because if there's no date, then how are you supposed to know when the transfer was properly made as to which party you're supposed to make payments to? Because under UCC3, uh, if you make a payment to the wrong party, you are not given credit for that. So you have a right now to know who you're making payments to. And there's another part to that which I've added, which is that no matter who makes a payment, the, whoever makes a payment, you have a right to an accounting because what if I chose to, as a gift, as a birthday gift or some other gift, I decide that I'm going to make a payment for you. You have the right to an accounting to know any time a payment has been made for you or on your behalf. And as we know in these remics, payments are continuously made on your behalf. So technically, according to the contract, if there was a loan, um, that, you're, that you're not in default because the um, the remic has been make, the servicer has been making payments on your behalf in order for it to stay in the remic so that the investors can continue getting the tax break that they're getting. So a lot of people don't know that. So now you can, there's some. Uh, I'm beginning to see some people starting to do some case law on that and saying, okay, wait a minute, you say that I'm in default, but again, they don't lay the foundation out. You have gotta always lay the foundation. You have to lay it up and say. Ask the question, is it true that somebody can make a payment on my behalf? Yes. Okay? Is it true that it can be that, that person can remain anonymous? Yes. 
Isn't it true that any payment made by any other party has to go to the principal first? Yes. So you, you lay your foundation first, so now you box them in with their own answers to the question. This is key. And you don't let them know where you're going. And then when you lay down that foundation, you say, okay, fine, a payment was made on such and such a date by an anonymous party. You could even say an anonymous party. You don't even need to say the servicer, okay, even though you can show that the servicer made the payment. So you can say, well, how is it possible then the contract says that you're in default when in actual fact the payment was made, okay? So there's case law that can be made on that. I didn't want to get off on that tangent, but I'm just showing you that even if you believe there was a loan, that a lot of what they're perpetuating out of here is complete lies and that there are ways to go after it if you lay the proper foundation. But I wanted to go to the deed of trust. Now, I went and got, I have had copies and I put it into electronic so I can pull it up at any time and I'm putting together a letter. And when I did it, I was referencing the two assignments. And the two assignments themselves um, are dated and it's it, what's interesting is when you go read it again, it's right there in front of my face. For value received. The so-and-so and such and such, I think it was uh, IndyMac Bank and, and it was, of course, Brian Burnett and Mears and all this other crap, which is all bullshit. We all know this. But um, but it goes on to say, hereby assigns, transfers, all of the rights, title, and interest in one said deed of trust. No mention of the note. Now, can anyone tell me? It's a superfluous question. You don't need to jump all in there. But think about it for a second. What is wrong with this? What's wrong with this is the same thing I've been saying before. It is there is no provision in law for ABC. There is no provision in the deed of trust, which is the law, because that's what they're coming in to do a foreclosure. They're not coming in, and I know I'm different than other people. Everyone says, go after the note. And I'm saying, no, come in under the deed of trust, because that's what they're coming into court to do the foreclosure. The note has nothing to do with the foreclosure. The note only has to do with an alleged loan. The deed of trust is the only thing that they're coming in under to do a foreclosure. So that's why I think people are going after the wrong thing. We need to go after the deed of trust. Now remember, always keep this in your mind that you are the grantor. You are the creator of, that's why I spent that whole, what was it, two or three shows ago where I did that. If you haven't heard it, go listen to the one where I laid down the whole thing about trust law. Because it's very, very important how that foundation that you understand what a trustor, a grantor, a creator of a trust is. It's much like you creating a will. You are the maker. It is everything is yours. The law you are literally creating uh, an entity, a thing with its own laws built in. You're creating a whole new United States of America, if you will. Okay, and it stands alone, and that's why you want to read. Uh, Dartmouth College, because it shows exactly that, that a trust stands on its own. It is a law unto itself, okay? And it's very important. And uh, it, you can see that there are certain places in the deed of trust, that, and most of us are the same. They're not all the same, but they're similar. You can find them. There are places or one line where there is one line in there where I believe it's uh, it maybe two lines where it says, purposes of this, that the local statute uh, and code shall, uh, or policy shall suffice. So in the deed of trust, you can hear clearly how the deed of trust refers to the statute or local laws for certain purposes, which clearly means it's 
not for all the other purposes. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so if it's so the, the the beauty the beauty about this, and I've mentioned this so many times before, is the law that's there. The fact that it utilizes something clearly indicates that you know how to, and you've heard me yap about this before in the law. The fact that it uses, I'll go back to the one which I've been using on the traveling, the fact that the definition of um, highway says that space between the shoulder and the shoulder that is open to the public for vehicular travel. The fact that they have used those words in the definition of the highway, roadway, and circles clearly tells you that they know these words, they know how to use them, and when they want to use them, they will. And the fact that they, you do not find any place where public is used, you do not find any place where the word travel is used, where anywhere that it's regulated, clearly means that they intentionally did not mean that traveling by the public or vehicular travel open, which means free from any rules, regulations, statutes, codes, or other ones. Okay? Same thing in the deed of trust. The deed of trust clearly in one or two of the lines recognizes and utilizes, says for these purposes, the local, it will concede to the statutes will suffice. Sometimes it even says the local statutes will suffice uh, for the first part, but for the second part, refer back to this. The point is that once they, because the deed of trust refers to the local laws and statutes in one section, clearly means that it is eliminated out of all others. So there is no mention of UCC3. It doesn't say for the purposes of this section that UCC3 shall be sufficed. It does not say that, which means that which is not expressly included is expressly excluded. So going back, when I go look at this alleged assignment, which is obviously there's no as I've said before a thousand times, there is no, or I should say that we, turn, we need to, instead of using the word no, the, the, the deed of trust is without any authority to use UCC3, okay? It is without authority to grant an assignment. It is without authority to allow um, a substitution of trustee, okay? That's, these are things that are fundamental, that are not there. There is a provision, however, I believe line 27 or 28, 26, somewhere around there, where it talks about a successor trustee. And it uses the word successor two, if not three times. Okay? So this is hugely important that its intent was clear. A successor, and as I've said before, and, and, and made definition, the difference between a substitute teacher and a successor teacher, a substitute teacher cannot give a final grade. Only a successor teacher. And that makes sense. If you have a trust, you want a trustee and only a trustee that can do and fulfill all the obligations under the trust. And last time, I think we talked a little bit about how the trustee has to know that they're the trustee, which is another thing. None of these trustees know they're trustees, so they were never properly uh, assigned or appointed and accepted. Remember, every contract, offer, acceptance, acknowledgement. Okay? So you have to have those three things. Well, you don't have those three things in the, it, with a trustee. So that's another issue. And in Maryland, that actually does fly. It's one of the few things you can find in Maryland where they have killed foreclosures because it was absent a trustee. So when I look at this assignment and it says for value received, and it mentions nothing about the note but only says 
all rights, powers, and interest in the deed of trust. Well, guess what? That is a breach of the deed of trust in and of itself. There is no provision in the deed of trust in the deed of trust to be sold, traded, or otherwise used in any manner. So now we have two instances. One, the one I mentioned before, is where the deed of trust is an, is used as like a fire extinguisher. It is security for a debt evidenced by the note. Not the note, but a debt evidenced by the note. It is security in there only for that purposes in the event of a foreclosure, okay, for no other reason. It's not supposed to be used for anything else other than that, okay? So any time that that deed of trust is used for any other purposes, what does it do to the deed of trust? It clearly voids it. It can't do anything else because you misused it, okay? You breached the contract. You breached the trust. And therefore, the moment that it's breached, immediately the, the, the deed of trust collapses and, and should be returned to the grantor, to the maker, along with the res to be reconveyed. Now, that would still leave the note out there, but it would be unsecured because that which was the security has now been used in another form which was not intended to be used, and there's no authority to use it that way. And the evidence is the fact that it says right there, for value received. It is prima facie evidence that somebody sold, traded, or made some concession for the deed of trust by itself and has no mention of the note whatsoever. So that was one thing I discovered, which is kind of a rediscovery. I had had it before and only mentioned it. But now knowing a little bit more about about law and, and, and strategy, I now can see how I can go after that. Okay? So, again, going after the deed of trust, there's no provision for what they're doing, and now they've breached it. So this is two times we have a breach, right at the beginning with the assignment, the alleged assignment, which, uh, which of course, you know, the obvious, which I've mentioned before, is that the alleged assignment goes into the alleged uh, remic trust. And I've also mentioned that a few times, that how is it possible that a trust can be put inside another trust? It's an impossibility. It's a contradiction in terms. You cannot put one trust into another trust. A trust can create another trust, but you can't put a trust, which is an independent thing, into another trust because who now is the trustee of that trust? You see, it's a conflict because the trustee of the remic is supposed to be the trustee for the remic. They can't be the, the trustee for the remic and the deed of trust, and the deed of trust, once it's put into this other trust, now becomes the property of the deed of trust, of that particular remic, of that trust. So if it's the property of that trust, then how can the deed of trust trustee enforce or make sure that the, that the deed of trust um, is, is properly, um, it can actually have any say-so in that deed of trust now? And the whole reason is, again, as I said before, they're using the deed of trust and the res that's in it as an underlying asset for a bond to be made in order to sell shares of that bond to investors. So once again, we have a complete breach of the trust because that which is only supposed to be there for security purposes to the lender and only the lender, in the case of the, where the lender uh, does all the things it's supposed to do in order to do a foreclosure, um, if they're entitled to, to uh, the payments under the note, as the note states, as, and the debt is actually there, once they show all that, then the, the, the lender and only the lender at its choice can do the foreclosure. So we have a whole bunch of breaches of the actual deed of trust, which is what they're coming in under. And the courts are going along with it, which now is an injury because the court is granting contract that does not exist. And they can't. So now 
what you what we do is we go after them and say, okay, fine, show me in the deed of trust where there's a provision for what you're doing. There isn't it. Now, I wanted to get back to that because um, uh, I think I've come up with, and I, I may be wrong, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong or somebody's tried this, but I believe that I, I, because of my friend in Pennsylvania, I was helping him with the uh, tax thing, um, with the, um, uh, what do you call it, the occupation tax. And I read through and read all of those, the statutes, and I read the wrong ones. I thought it was um, occupancy tax. So I read all the stuff on occupancy tax, which is actually very similar. It's, the more you read, here's the cool thing. We're talking about repetition. I want to come back and keep pounding it. The more you read, you're going to pretty soon, it seems really confusing and bizarre and outlandish and, oh, my God, I can't understand what the hell it's saying. But the more you read, the more similarities you see. And I've been very fortunate because I've been helping other people out for no pay uh, in other states. I've had to learn um, all the different ones in different states. And you know what? They are so very similar. You find similar elements in almost everything. And you heard um, my friend in in, uh, Florida uh, who's from Canada when he talked about, I think, what, five shows ago, when he first came on, I said he was able to find exactly what I said in Florida. He was able to even find it in Canada. And then he got a ticket in New York, and he was looked it up, and he was able to find it in New York. So it's kind of cool when you start. At first, it seems complicated, but pretty soon you're going to find out that this language is similar and that the, the, the games that they play are virtually the same in every state too. Some of them are more distressed than others. Um, and you have to learn that ahead of time. So we have clear breaches. We have clearly where they have injured us in what they're doing because they're denying us our our power. In fact, as I've said under Hale versus Hinkle, it says his right, excuse me, his power to contract is unlimited, whereas the corporation is limited by its charter and the laws of the state. So clearly we can actually, I haven't pursued this, but I intend to, pursue the corporate charters of all of these banks and all these other corporation uh, courts to find out if they're even within their charter to to do what they're doing, because I suspect they're not. So we'd have another breach there. Now, all these breaches, when you first start out, because you're under the mythological uh, uh, misconception that there is such a thing as a uh, due process of law and justice in these courts, and it may take you several times of beating your head against the wall to realize, and, and you get better and better and better perfected, at presenting your case to the point where you're like, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm not like I was five years ago or three years ago when I was an idiot and didn't know how to put, uh, you know, a paper together here. You know, I, I know what I'm saying. The law is clear. And then finally one day it's going to dawn on you, and that's why I keep repeating it because I want you to save yourself a lot of trouble and recognize the fact that, no, it's simple criminality. There's no, oh, there's, there, it's not... Um, it's not even it is a giant conspiracy, but it's not like all of the players are 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 co-conspirators other than by concession that most of them don't even know what's going on. they're just idiots, okay um, they don't even know because it's been this you know and, and they'll tell you uh, this is the way it's always been this way we've always done it. So knowing that you understand that you're not going to win um, as I think I've said before, the one the boxer who is prepared for fifteen rounds are the ones that win in the first round. The ones that prepare for, you know, figure, oh, it'll never go more than nine rounds. It ends up going 14 or 15 rounds, and they barely can hang in there. So we have to do that. We have to, you know, and what do they do when they go into the gym? Every single day for how many hours they go in that gym and they beat that back and they do the jump rope and they do 
all that stuff, repetition, repetition, repetition. Because when you get into that, when you get into that boxing ring, which is what the court is, and they're starting to pummel you, you're going to have an automatic uppercut just at the right moment. You're going to be prepared. You're going to be ready. And um, so I wanted to share those few things that, that look at your alleged assignments and see if it says for value received and then says it, one said deed of trust because if so, then you have it right. You have them right there. They breached the deed of trust under trust law. Now, also, some other information which I found interesting, I happened to look up, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I happened to go and I said, well, let me just type in this, this REMIC. And mine is LXS 2006-12N REMIC. And I could not believe it. I found Morgan Stanley Mortgage Loan Trust 2006-12N. Uh, let me see where it is, where it is, where it is. here it is, uh, 2000, yeah, LXS 2006 Mortgage Trust. What? Oh, my God, here it is. And it has the whole thing laid out. It's about 10 or 15 pages. Pooling and service agreement dated as of September 1, 2006, among Morgan Stanley Capital uh, One, Inc. I've never heard Morgan Stanley once in any of the papers. And then when you start to go uh, uh, under these um, these remics, you start finding out that, uh, and there's a great case, which I think I mentioned last time. I don't know if I have it up right now. I My computer shut down. But the person went after uh, them because they said it was, um, they were not allowed to receive the trustee and the, on the servicing pool agreement. The, and the, this is the master servicer is uh, master trustee. I'm sorry, is not allowed to receive anything after the closing date. That's number one. Number two, which they followed up with, is that they has to be an indirect deposit. There has to be a. There's different ways they put it. They have a a depositor. They have one a the one who is the gifter or the. Um, there's different names that they use for it, and that requirement is that they must have all assignments or transfers all up to date, perfectly signed with all the dates and everything before it goes to the donor. Sometimes they call them a donor um, that donates it or they, they call them the donor who who then collects them and then gives them or, or transfers them into the remit. Now, what's fascinating is that when you go look at it, it's Mortgage Stanley is capital is the one who's supposed to be the actual donor, and they're not. They're nowhere mentioned. So what they mentioned in this court case, which the court um, actually addressed and said, yep, that's correct, even though they didn't go into it in long detail. They, they just basically recognized that it was an un- unauthorized deposit anyway, even if it was on time, because the, the REMIC is very clear, the service and pooling is very clear that it cannot be a direct deposit. It has to be through the donor or through... Uh, the one who's gathering all these together and takes full, basically what it comes down to is full liability for the deposit into the REMIC. So that's not happening either. So when you start digging into the details, you start going, oh, my God. So you might want to look up your own trust. Um, So I found that one. And then the next one I found was a servicing supplement. It was a supplement. And this had to do, uh, ironically enough, with the one that's coming after me now, which is Aquin Loan Servicing. And when you go read it, uh, it's really interesting because it talks about subservicing and servicing, uh, engagement in sub- subservicer servicing transfer procedures, 
servicing transfer procedures, which they're violating all these, uh, reference to master servicing agreement. So there it is, your master servicing agreement. Um, and then you go read it, and it's about, oh gosh, quite a few pages long. Let me see how long it is. And then it has, actually, it's not that long because the last 15 pages, let me see how many pages is that? One, two, three. It's only actually, the beginning of it's only four or five pages. So it's not too bad. It talks about the schedule. So it has Article 1, basis of the servicing fees, deferred servicing agreement, excess servicing. These are all definitions. Monthly servicing fees. So now what we have, the reason I went after this, performance fee, retaining servicing fee, retaining servicing fee procedures, and so on. What we can see here is clearly they are using the deed of trust, and in fact, and if the note was ever there, which we know it's not, they're actually using our instruments. And I, and, and I kind of go into this because of the guy that was on, um, I think it was on um, my private audio again. I can't remember his name now. But he was talking about the whole thing. It's a mortgage package that they're selling a product and it has nothing to do with the loan, it has nothing to do with the house or, or property. It has to do with a product known as a mortgage was a mortgage product, a mortgage package. And what it comes down to is this paper. They're selling a the paper uh, as an as an as a separate uh, piece of property. That's why when I do my rescission, I mentioned that the note and, and I've always said this for the last I don't know several years that we've said that they're in possession of my pro- unlawfully in possession of my property, and I wasn't talking about the house. They're talking about the mortgage and the note and all the other uh, mortgage documents as a package, which only exists and has power and can only be sold because of my signature. So what they're doing is they're engaged in an activity that's unauthorized by me. I did not authorize them to use my name and the information that's on there and to make profits off it, which they're clearly doing. They're selling it. They're negotiating it. And that I didn't authorize them to do that. And that's why I'm putting together an affidavit as to what my intent was when, when I allegedly signed these papers, what it was all about, that I didn't authorize this. It's clearly not in there. So we now have a breach of the note, breach of the deed of trust, as well as a breach of trust between the relationship between you, the alleged lender, the alleged servicer, and everybody else. And in fact, I did that one time on the phone because he said, oh, well, uh, we, we, we do this, we do that, we can do that. And I said, hold on a minute, you, you know, uh, first of all, oh, we're, we we have to do what the lender says. We have to do. I said, no, you don't. I said, no, you're not subject to the lender. Oh, yes, we are. No, you're not. I said, let me ask you a question. Who's paying you? Who paid you? Not the lender. I'm the one. So I'm the one who dictates to you. I'm the one who wrote this allegedly, or I signed it. I authorized it, even though I didn't write it. I authorized it. Therefore, I'm the one who's the master here. You're the servant because without me, you wouldn't even have a position or a job. And the guy shut up. He actually got quiet, quit rambling like he was. Oh, we're going to do this. No. Again, and I'm bringing this up for another reason. For another reason too is once you begin to realize that we are the grantors, we are the creators. We are the trustors of everything that goes on, including our government. We are the ones that allow, create, and promote. We are the only, without us, the government doesn't exist. And I listened to this great audio. Um, it's called Freedom. And I'll give you the link to that. It's called 
HTTP double dot forward slash forward slash the T H E F R E E D O M L I N E dot com forward slash freedom forward slash. And um, I've known this guy for a long time. He was a young guy, and he's obviously a little bit older now. And he, he's been doing a lot of stuff, and I just really love this recording. You really should listen to it. And he's the only other person other than myself, and I, you know, it's so cool to see things come about because I wrote him long letters years ago about how I, under the Unanimous Declaration of Independence, if you look at the first part, it says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, okay? And to institute new forms of government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness, which we all, this is the trust that all these forms of government have been created in the United States are founded upon. It says that, laying its foundation on such principles. So there's the trust again, okay? Now we have the Articles of Confederation, which have not been abolished or abandoned, but it was just converted over to a corporate type of, of, of government, which is under the Constitution, but it's still subject to the trust. And where do we find that? In Article 6, where it says anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. So within it, there it is within it, stating clearly that it, it, can, it must abide by the principles of the Unanimous Declaration of Independence. Now, let's go further. It says that, it, uh, and I, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so if I'm not precise, forgive me, it's been a while. But it says, uh, all experience has shown that mankind is more willing to suffer while evils are sufferable. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations evinces a design to bring the people under absolute despotism, which is power and control, which we are under now. It is the right, comma, it is the duty of the people to throw off, not overthrow, a lot of people get that mixed up, to throw off as having full authority to throw off your raincoat or anything else, okay? To throw off such government and institute new guards for their future security. Notice the second time it does not say anything about instituting government. And I've mentioned this a few times that I believe that's where we are today. This this recording that this man has made is phenomenal. It's quite long. It's about uh, it's three hours long. But it lays it out. It's a book. He's actually an audio of a book that he put out, and they're now putting it in other languages. He's going international. So it's quite phenomenal. He lays it all out all the way through and is basically saying, which we're all kind of coming to the conclusion of, that, and I mentioned this, I forget how many shows ago, and I've said it so many times, that really when you look at it, government has and always will be corrupted. He's gone one step further and laid it out and said all of the problems that the people have is because of government. And it goes through everything from the medical to the to the to the to the wars to the and how they do it. They collect money. You know what was it paying for your financing your own demise? You know, and they do it by threat, fear, and intimidation, and and um, and and literally by force. And so basically, what they're saying is, if you don't pay the taxes, we're going to kill you. And if you do pay the taxes, and we have enough money so that we can have a force so that we can kill you, if you don't pay the taxes. 
So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And he's actually opening up and, and recognizing the fact and, and really encouraging people to recognize that we are at that point in history where I believe that second part of the unanimous Declaration of Independence uh, is now happening, where we are now waking up and realizing that all government in any form whatsoever is going to be corrupted, it's going to be abusive, and it's going to cause the problems that we have. It does not help solve them. It, cor it corrupts the problems, creates the problems so that it can make more money to solve the problems, and so on it goes, and creates the power that, it, that we shouldn't be giving to anyone. So... Uh, listen to that audio, and I think it'll 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 lays it out pretty well. And I think that's where we are today. Um, Sorry, I missed that, um, Colin. I did I did miss that. You said an audio, and you gave the the web address. Could you repeat that, please? Yes, I will. If someone would type it in, there'd be great. To http double dot forward slash forward slash the freedom line t h e f r e e d o m L I N E. Sorry, sorry. V, v for Victor? No, V as in uh, the unanimous declaration has been The oh, Freedom, F R E E. Okay, for, okay, so The Freedom, yep. Yeah, The Freedom, li freedom Line. The Freedom Line. T H E. Thomas, Hank, Edward, Frank, Richard, Edward, Edward, Derek, Oscar, Mary. Lineage. No, I you've lost me. You've lost me. I've got. Uh, I've got. Um, yeah, I've got the HTTP uh, double dots two forward slashes the freedom line dot com dot com. Is that right. it? Forward slash freedom. Forward slash. Okay, so there's a forward slash freedom, and then forward slash. Right. Okay, I'll put that in. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. And and it's really, I think it's well worth it. It's inspiring. It lays it out. There's really not much you can argue with it. Um, like I say, it is long. Put it on your speaker, whatever. Turn it on as you're doing things. Uh, but it, it, you, it's worth listening to. I actually uh, took the time to continue listening to it almost uh, I tried doing other things, but it was just too captivating. And it was it's so right on. He's not telling you anything you probably don't already know, but he's just laying it down in such a form. It's like, oh, okay, you know, and everything, it makes perfect sense. You know, you have to have a police force to stop crime. But then the moment you have a police force, you now, in order for the police force to get more money, they have to allow or create crime in order for them to get more money. And they get more money so that they can, you know, and it becomes a never-ending cycle. It's the same thing with war, you know. Uh, you know, you're going over to invade other countries. You're, you're, you're becoming the very thing that government was supposed to prevent. They're supposed to, like I said, that uh, organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Well, clearly having a police force running around beat the crap out of people is not causing us to feel safe and happy. Having a judicial system that can be and is corrupted or corporatized and a, and a jail system, which is a money-making system, all of these things, they can't help be, being corrupted. I thought the most powerful thing when I was a kid, I didn't read hardly at all, but I do remember that one quote, power corrupts and, and power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and no truer is it made. So why on earth would you grant power to anybody? It just doesn't make any sense. You know, it does. It just doesn't. And and like they said, in a democracy, 51% of the people could be fooled into voting for something to 
uh, force the other people to do what they want, what they think they should do. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world, and that's where fundamental rights come in. So we have, we have, with the system that we have, our tools are diminishing, and I believe that we're headed towards where he says because it's, he says it's very difficult for a politician to lie when everybody has a phone and can record them in one state saying one thing and then another and then put them one side by side when he says something opposite. But we see Hillary Clinton lying her ass off about everything and engaged in criminal activity, so she's not in jail yet. So there's clearly a problem with the judicial system and clearly a problem with, with the prosecutors out there. From I mean, there's no I can't think of any branch of government that has any kind of prosecutorial uh, powers that should not be prosecuting her. She is, She's murdered people. She's caused murders people. She's done everything you could possibly think of. I mean, just putting that server in her basement with, with secret... If you and I did one of those things, just one of those things, we'd be in jail for 20 to 30 years. And this woman does it with complete... How is that possible? She's not supposed to be immune to to prosecution. And she, and she still holds a position, a trusted position in the government. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I'm trying to be rude, but if this was 100 years ago, she'd have been strung up by a, from a lamppost a long time ago, lawfully speaking. Which yeah, they is, have a pretty good kill rate, those two. The Clintons, what? they have a very, they have a good kill rate. They've killed a lot of people. Oh, my God, yeah. If you, anyone hasn't mm. seen the video, look it up. If you know the name of that video, but it's called the, I think it's called the Body Count of the Clintons. And, and you guys are just, you have no idea. I mean, these are people that are in office, a public trust, they can't be trusted, you know, Clinton can't be trusted to go down to the local store without raping somebody, you know. Uh, the, the definition of White House was redefined. You know, the whole thing, the whole reason for Waco, that they killed those women and children, which if you remember, what was that lady's name who had Alzheimer's? She was the, um, I think she was Secretary of State. She authorized it under the auspices of saving the poor little children. What was her name? I can't think of her name now. There was Condoleezza Rice. Janet and was Reno. Janet. Janet. What was her name? Reno. Reno. That's right. Yeah. Janet. I used to call it Janet Rhino and uh, Condoleezza Rice, but those are my, my particular things. But this is the whole thing was orchestrated by the Clintons. Now, here's what's interesting. If you watch the video, those two guys that go in into the window, or three guys, or three guys that go into that window, okay? They they put in a flash grenade, they go in the window, and the guy that was laying down turns around a couple minutes later, throws in another flash grenade and starts shooting, and guess who he's shooting? He's shooting those three guys that went in there. Who were those three guys? Two of them were ex-bodyguards of the Clintons. That gives you an idea. They killed, they purposely killed, they knew that the women and children were in a bus that was buried underground, and the first thing they did before they burned the place down was they cut a hole in the roof. Now, these are unarmed women, unarmed children, hiding for safety. They cut a hole in the roof of the bus, and the first thing they did was drop grenades in there to kill them first. Now, does that sound like, you know, Janet Reno was like, oh, we got to save the children? Are you freaking kidding me? Oh, stuff makes me angry. Don't get me started. But you see the whole body count. You see everything that went on. You begin to see what was going on there. Why, the first thing that clued me was why was the media being kept a mile away? That doesn't make any sense. It was, it was all lies. Okay? That's because they, they didn't want you to see what was going on. But this lady, this one lady does a great video, and she can show you where the guy shot himself in the leg as he's going up the ladder. So that was one injury. 
okay? Every injury that was done, they did to themselves, and they killed their own people, okay? So that, that's, and then you can see the guys in the fire suits that are going around lighting things on fire. They're not putting fires out. They're lighting things on fire. The reason? Because those people, some of the people that were a part of the group there, that were just simply trying to get closer to God, by the way, if people don't know this, all that, all that propaganda uh, that they put out about David Crush is all propaganda. Okay, the FBI had a tape where they interviewed everybody that was there, including the children. Okay, to ask them, are you here by force? And you can see, anyone who knows anything about, about children and psychology, you can see they're not scared of this man. Okay? So there was bullshit. The whole thing was bullshit. And, and they held on to it. They, they kept it hidden. All, everything they did, it was so unlawful, it's not even, not even funny. In fact, I, I couldn't believe that the nation didn't have a complete uprising at that point because it just showed me how ignorant people were. If people even yeah. understood the law, that should, have been the, that should have been a revolutionary war right there instantaneously because no military force is ever allowed to come against any of the people, period. Exactly. Um, Colin, have you heard of um, um, uh, Jerry Spence? Who? Jerry. Jerry Spence. Jerry with a G. G-E-R-R-Y. Jerry Spence. I don't think I have. Tell me about him. Well, he is the most um, amazing lawyer um, he um, he represented insurance companies, and um, obviously he had a girlfriend that was with him, and he wanted to impress his girlfriend. He never impressed her, winning winning against this old, you know, crippled man. She ran out of the courtroom, and uh, she said, "How can you do that to that man?" And that night he had an epiphany. He um, him and his law firm, um, he's at Wyoming. He is in Dubai, in Wyoming. He sent a letter to all the insurance companies the next day and they said that they were going to represent the little guy. So ever since then, um, he has represented people like Randy Weaver, Amelda Marcos, um, you know, the little guy against the big insurance companies. In 50 years of his career, and he's like, um, well, he was 83 in 2013. So he has, um, he has never, never lost a criminal case. And he has never lost a civil case in all his years after that. Um, he's very good at what he does. You can Google him um, and he's got and he talks about stuff. Um, he's got, um, you know, how to, how to win a law case every time. He's got a book out about that. Um, and he said it doesn't matter if you're in the law courts or out on the street. Uh, it's winning strategies on how to, how to win um, things. He's, got, he's published like about 16 books. He has a law school called um, a Trial Lawyers College in Dubai, and he helps people, you know, lawyers actually start feeling. And that's what he said. He's been trying to educate judges and, um, and lawyers, you know, because he said, use people go to law school. And he said, when you've come out, all you don't know anything about life, you've, and all they've taught you to do is dumb you down and told you how to not feel. You know, he said, if... He said, I can't get you to feel. How can I get you to feel what the, the other people have gone through? So this is what he does. Amazing man. You know, I just, I just listened to some of his speeches. And well, the way he talks... Do you have a website for him or spell his name and I'll Google it? What is it again? Yeah. Um, it's G-E-R-R-Y. Jerry, go ahead. Yep, Spence. S-P-E-N-C-E. Jerry Spence. S P E N E. No, S S P P for um, penny. 
Spence, is that it? Yes, Spence. S P E N C E. Yeah. Gary Spence. Okay, I found something here. Gary Spence. Oh, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was well known. Didn't they finally take him out? Oh God, is he dead now? Is he? Huh? Is he dead now? Because he's like um. Well, I've been watching some stuff, and he's, as far as I know, he's still alive, but he could be dead. I mean, it's 2016 now. Yeah, it says, uh, as of 2014, Spence has never lost a criminal case, either as a prosecutor or a defense attorney. Okay, cool. So we'll look at That's what he's got, like, opening statements, closing statements, and how always to lead with, you always lead with, um, you know, how to always lead with um, questions that that are that are going to give a yes and no answer. And he said, of course, the questions that you lead with are, que- are answers you already know the answers to. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and, and, yes, yes. Yeah, that's, well, I, I didn't that, know that's any what of That's why I talk this. about laying a foundation down that you box them in with their own answers. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know any of this, you know, so um, I, I just prayed. I prayed to God and I said, well, you know, I, I, I'm just lost because I don't know where to go with my stuff and and he come up you know so I don't know where to but I'm just you know I'm just gathering information as I go and see what happens but I just wanted to tell you about Jerry Spence anyway because that's that's really helpful that's fantastic I have to do uh to do you know I never thought of him before but yeah he's he was a hero a long time ago but he's never been on my horizon I'll go check on him and, and see how uh, how he recommends uh, to do things. That's great. Um, yeah. Well, okay. you, you've got to take it from the from the from the really really guys who know their stuff. So, you know, um, so if a guy has never lost a civil case or a criminal case, um, mm-hmm. you know, in like fifty years, he's mm-hmm. he's got to be pretty blooming good. Well, absolutely. Yeah. That's and he, uh, yeah. Um, you know, and he did say, oh, sorry, and one of the most important things I heard him say, he said there is not one case that he has ever tried or that he knows of where the governments have not broken their own laws. Mm-hmm. So, And obviously he must get them on that. You know, he shows them where they've broken their own laws. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly what uh, I'm talking about here. And that's, is, yes, yep, that's exactly yep. what you've been saying, yes. And, and and the cool thing is is that you can see, you know, somebody challenged me the other day and they sat there and said, Ah, well so and so is already talking about that. I think somebody what's at the very end they said, you know, what what Steve knows he knows, which is really interesting. It's like, well no, that's not true. Steve knows an awful lot more than I do uh on certain subjects. Um he doesn't do foreclosures. Uh, that's been my forte, that's been really where I've been going after, but I've had to learn the other law because he was the one person I could relate to that I was able to take teaching from to learn how to do strategy. And as I've said before, we need to put on the mindset. And if you remember at the opening of the show, and I'll repeat it again, we have to understand that these people have never lost. They have not been victimized. We have, and there is a total psychological, we have been raped. And the rape is an ongoing rape. And if you study anything about the psychology, now there's a show on that yeah, video. Yeah, I just want to say, oh, I just want to say, with the psychology stuff, um, you have a, you have what you call allostatic load. Alice under allostatic load, um, it's what, it's what the body can handle under pressure. 
in a normal circumstance. My friend Sydney, who's been, he's a Vietnam vet, he's been in four wars, he's got blown up four times, you know, um, and he's lived to tell the tale. He come up with a, a, a his name is Sydney McLeod. He has come up with a term called allostatic overload. Allostatic overload is actually a, it's it's actually when the body is constantly put under pressure on an ongoing basis all the time continually. Now what that does is not only change it actually changes your cells and it actually changes your DNA structure. Um, so some yeah he's he's an amazing man. I haven't seen him for a while since he moved. He's like you know he's he's the godfather to my to my kids. You know I love him I love him to death and he's a very down to earth no nonsense sort of man, um, as you as you probably well know uh, being in the army um, mm. but, or military. Um, but yeah, he's he's always good to talk to. Well, one thing that I found interesting in this video, uh, which is the one um, uh, the legal abuse syndrome. Uh, on YouTube is there was a section in there and I was I was waiting for them to say it or if they didn't I wanted to jump up in there and put it in the comment section but what did uh, there was a Vietnam veteran there as well and he said oh I thought we were the only ones that could lay claim to that he was joking of course PTSD and and what the woman brought up is, uh, and mentioned is that there's no break there's you know it is continuous even in war what's going on in war and then he sat there and said the following. He said, yes, and the PTSD is not so much from the war as much as it is the way that we are treated when we come home. And I can verify that myself. I was in shock um, more for almost five years. I was basically walking around like a zombie. It caused me, in fact, to go out into the woods for a year and just live completely on faith, uh, which I mention that story a little bit, you know, the first time I ever read it, you know, scripture on that. But a lot of that came from because I felt so alienated from the society itself that I had just put my life on the line to fight for their freedoms. And I found that, you know, that I didn't have any freedoms. Door slammed in my face, you know, I had a real nice conversation. I'm going to rent a place. And this nice little old lady, you know, we're having a great conversation. And she asked me, you know, what was it that I did? And I said, well, I was, in the, you know, I was in the Navy. And she sat there and slammed the door in my face immediately. And it was horrible. And it was just the emotional, uh, you know, the people coming back from that war, the highest suicide rate. You know, it was just amazing. Uh, you know, and it wasn't until 20 years later that um, it was quite by accident. In fact, I would never tell anyone that I had been in the military. I mean, it was literally something that was a whole section of my life as horrible as it was, it, you know, and you, you might want to forget it. You can't, you know, you, sometimes you need to reveal it and talk about it and, and get it out. Um, you know, some of the, the things that, that, that you witness and that you experience. But I just completely buried it and hid it. But it always made me always looking around. I was always looking over my shoulder. Um, and now with the court stuff and with the foreclosure, when you, when, when you get foreclosed on, and, and you file documents and, you you know, here's the sheriff and you've got guns pointing at you in, in public and your neighbors and everyone's seen it, your stuff's thrown out on the front yard, you're, you're, you're completely exacerbated, you know, because I, on, my, on the one house that I was living in, they, they, I thought I had an upper hand on it because, in fact, as it turned out, the particular uh, law firm that, or legal firm that did the foreclosure was later sanctioned 
and and the and I actually got like oh thank you very much I got twenty five hundred dollars which some people say was one of the largest amounts out of a, a class action suit but my house was a five hundred forty thousand dollar house that I built with my own two hands or rebuilt it was complete burnt burnout and I completely rebuilt it myself and did all the landscaping the wood you know everything you know all myself and um, so you know that value was my sweat equity, and here here it is. I think I only borrowed like three hundred, allegedly borrowed three fifty, and yet here they were stealing all of my equity and everything else. And I went to the courthouse that day to get an emergency injunction, and all they did was manipulate manipulated keeping me in the lobby until four thirty, and then they came out and said that it was moot. And the reason it was moot was because the eviction had already taken place. What the hell kind of crap is that? I mean, this is clearly you know this stuff. You know, and, and here's the thing: when you've been in a war zone, and if anyone even said anything or looked at you cross-eyed, uh, you know, or talked about your mother, your family, boom! You know, uh, either you punched them out, you know, cut them out, or 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 shot them. You know, it's a whole different world over there. You didn't say anything nasty. You didn't take an advantage of somebody. You sure as hell didn't steal anything from anybody. And then you come back here, you know, the place where which you've been fighting for, and robbery is the name of the game. And you're just like, uh, and the frustration, you don't know what to do because you don't want to go to jail. I mean, at least overseas, you know, somebody does something, you know, and you kill them. It's like, well, you know, that's life. That's war. You know, but you come back here and you, you look at somebody cross-eyed and you go to jail. And like I said, I grew my hair long and I was I was being arrested every two weeks just for no particular reason. And this, this one cop, you know, he kept telling me, why don't you cut your hair? Why don't you cut your hair? And I was like, because I don't have to. It's my right. Finally, one day, I cut my hair. Guess what? Never got arrested again. So, I mean, you know, th- th- when you, uh, you know, been in, you know, in a war zone, not not nearly what other people who were in the, in the rights pad is. I can't claim to that, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to, you know, say that I experienced that. But I experienced my own traumas of being on an aircraft carrier watching a friend of mine get sucked up, in, you know, into an A6 and, Another guy getting chopped up by helicopter blades and I, and stuff that happened to me when I was, you know, um, um, you know, I got stabbed one time when I was out on a jeepney and stuff. But then, you know, but it was pretty much social stuff more than the war stuff. But the whole the the, the psychological bullshit that went on on that aircraft carrier was absolute bullcrap. And then I come back here and it's in bad or worse. I mean, it's ridiculous. You go to these courts and you're like, these are criminals. You know, you see it all. You know, you're you're, you're you're holding the law up like when I went into the into the uh you know the traffic court the other day and I'm like, here's the law, this is the one you're enforcing, this is what it says, read it. They wouldn't even allow it to be entered into evidence. What? I mean, come on. You know So that's their own law. Their own law and what they're not even taking it in. Well I mean, that's that well it's our laws that, you know, you know, and this is why we've got to take possession. We've got to realize that we have the power. We collectively have the power. We just have to get, we have to keep fighting, if you want to call it that. We have to keep educating people. We have to keep illuminating to people and making them realize what the truth is. That's all I try to do is tell the truth because people only have two apples in their hands. They only have lies and lies. And when we sit there and show that, no, we have apples and oranges. We have oranges too. And when you begin to see, oh, this is what the real law says, if nothing else, that's why I try to get people to study the statutes and laws. Is because that way you can say, well, wait a minute. Even the statutes and laws, which quote unquote don't apply to me as you know one of the people or sovereign, one of the sovereign people, okay, still it does apply to them. 
And you can see they're not abiding by the laws that we have created to regulate them. That's the authority which they act under. When you do that, you will begin to get more angry. You begin to say, wait a minute. These people are not nuts. They're not crazy. And they're not anti-American. They're actually completely 100% right. And when we can get people's mindset, and it doesn't matter whether it's American or not. American to me is just simply means a, a concept that all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain unleadable rights. That's to me what that means, that principle, that concept. So... When people start reading the damn law for themselves and reading the statutes, they go, wait a minute. Even by, quote-unquote, their own statutes, they're not allowed to do what they're doing. They're not authorized to do that. And when that happens, when enough people sit there and go, wait a minute, we got a big problem here. Most people assume, and I've actually had a woman say that to me, well, if the government's doing it, then it must be lawful. I'm like, what are you, nuts? The laws were made to govern the government, those that are in government, because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's, the other, that's why the statutes and rules are there. That's why I keep reading Hale versus Hinkle. It's very clear that they're bound the by their, their, their charter. That's the biggest barrier that we have. I, I believe that's the, big, the biggest barrier that we actually do have is getting people to believe the government is so corrupt. I know it's the biggest barrier I had years ago. You know, when somebody, um, when, I read a, when I read a book and it alerted me to it, I'm like, well, geez, here it is in black and white. <laughs> I know it's true because I can feel it's true, you know, and I'm like, wow, the government does not have my best interest at heart. <laughs> well, the government really doesn't give a shit. They are really trying to kill us. And I'm like, holy crap. Yep. And the thing okay, is... No. We, we, hey, we, hey, Colin, Colin, yeah, yeah. I'm going to interrupt I had a guy here today. He ended up buying. He ended up buying the um, property tax, and he wants to come in and take pictures. How would you handle that? Well, first thing I would do is give him a notice that the only thing he bought was a counterfeit instrument, and ask him a simple question: Does he want clear title to the property? Okay. Again, asking questions. Do you want clear? Do you want clear title for this property? He's going to say yes. I say okay, fine. Go look at the land records and see if the seller of the property had ownership of the property to sell it. Well, naturally they don't. Well, that's my point. But you want to ask are you asking him a question because he's an investor and I used to be an investor, so I understand that you've got to understand all the sides of the, the perspective of each person as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. He's there to make some money. He wants to Correct. make money. Okay, he Correct. does not believe that he's stealing anything from you. He does not understand that yet. So you have to talk to him in his language. Okay? It's like I get things done. And you go, well, how can you get that done? I go, well, I, I have my ways of doing it. Well, how's that? I go to the president of the company or a CFO or somebody, and I go, I'm going to talk business to you. Either you get me my part that, I, that you were supposed to get me to begin with, or I'm going to bring you to court and sue you. And I'm going to put down on my radio show and everybody, I'm going to put as much advertising out there that you are this and that and the other thing. So I'm speaking business to them. I'm saying, this is your bottom line is profit. I am going to punch you where it hurts in your profits. And I got nothing to lose because you're already trying to steal from me. This is something people don't understand. And this is what, you know, Luella's been telling us. You've already won because they've already injured you. We've got to stop being, and I'm yelling at myself here, so, so, so don't think I'm yelling at anyone else other than myself, motivating myself. 
We've already been raped. We've already been robbed. We've already been beat up. We've already been abused. Okay? Now it's our turn. We don't need to sit there. What else can they take? They're already taking everything that we have, our rights, our, our, our liberties, our property, and, and they're doing it under, under, under false, false pretenses, color of law actions, and so on. Okay? So here you want to talk business, and you ask them a simple question. Look, you want to have clear title to this property, right? Either to resell it or to use it or whatever. And he's going to say yes. Then I suggest you go down to the land records and see, and don't even say who sold it, see if the seller had possession and ownership of the property, that it was transferred to them properly before they sold it to you. And then the second thing, and then and, and, and tell them to go do, do that, first of all. And then, call, and then call them back and say, did you do that? And get them to do that. And then ask this question. Say, let me ask you a question. No matter, do you, you want to have this property free and clear, don't you? You don't want to have somebody like me hanging around your neck for the next 50 years, do you? Suing you in court, suing you in federal court, bringing actions against you, bringing actions against the property, putting liens against the property. Is that what you want? Ask them, is that what you want? Or do you want to find some other, and then, and then give them an out? Say, look, I studied this stuff. Tax sale, if you're buying something for $40,000 that you know is worth 100000 that means you just stole $60,000 from, from somebody else, doesn't it? And the fact that you're not getting a key to this place, that you're going to have to break and enter, is kind of a clue that you're engaged in a criminal act. Well, he was trying to, he was trying to um, basically saying, you know, I can, I, I can evict you. I can do a sheriff's sale. Well, of course he can because he, the legal system sets it up. But you have a long way to, you know, you, you, you have a 42-1983. You can do an injunction on him. Um, uh, that's the first thing I would do right now is do an injunction. At least that will stall it and hold it up while you're setting up your 42-1983. That's why I played. If you were listening to last week's thing, I did the whole thing, the whole recording with Steve and explained it all as to where, you know, what to do and how to set it up so that you can do the 42-1983 and sue them. And then you ask him, do you want to be a part to this federal suit? I, here's the law. Here's what you know, that you cannot sell that which you do not own. That's a maximum of law. The, the state never took possession of the property. They didn't even file a proper lien on the property. They didn't perfect the lien. They never filed a lien. They didn't perfect the lien. And there was no due process of law. There was no but, proper but hold, hold on. Doesn't doesn't the state actually think they own your property? Do what? Doesn't the state actually think they own the property due to property tax? Well, that's the whole point is that you have to show that the state does not own the property and it can't tax that which it doesn't own. Right. And that's the other question. You again, again, you're going to ask them these questions like, okay. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a mortgage before? And he's going to go, yes. And you've heard of a deed of trust. He goes, yes. And I said, well, where's the deed of trust that they're enforcing? Because if they can do this, if they can just take property and create a new title to a property or new deed to a property, which, by the way, if you look at it, you have a no-warranty deed property, okay? The, right. the deed they gave you was a no-warranty deed. I have a warranty deed. So even if you looked at it cards, I have a warranty deed, you don't. You have a non-warranty deed. No warranty expressed or implied. What does that tell you? 
Second of all, the state who, who created it, you can't create a new title. The state can't create a new title. It doesn't have the authority. And here's the thing. If you could do that, what do you need a deed of trust for? Ask him that question. What do you need a deed of trust for? Because the owner of the property would have to put the property into a trust, and then it would have to be foreclosed on in order for somebody to get the property, wouldn't they? If Correct. you didn't need to do that, there'd be no need for a deed of trust, would there? The state would just, just simply, you, when you got a loan, you wouldn't need a deed of trust. The state is acting unauthorized. They don't have any authority. It's not their property. You cannot sell that which you do not own. Go back and look at Dartmouth College. Whenever there's a grant, the grant is absolute. So even if you bought it from the state or the state owned it at one time, and then you can ask them that, doesn't the state own certain property? Yes. So where on the land record does it show that the state owns this property? It doesn't. So the state cannot sell that which it does not own. Point blank. Even if money was owed, even if taxes are owed, they didn't follow due process of law because they can't. They can't make a claim. Where's the injury? They don't have one. And then ask what it says, how much is the amount? It's one-tenth the amount. Does it even make sense to you that you're going to sit there and take somebody's property that's worth $200,000 and sell it for $2,000? Does that even make sense to you? No. It doesn't make sense. You're stealing my equity at the very – no, go back to the Constitution again. Constitution says that no property shall be taken. What is the what is the purpose of taxes allegedly? For the public, right? Oh, no property right. shall be taken for public purposes without just compensation. And ask them. So where's the just compensation? This is being taken for the public. What is the taxes allegedly for? For the public. So this property, and, and also under the, under police actions, if it's a portion of your property, they call that policing. If it's the entire property, then they are taking your entire property and it falls under under that article of the Constitution, which is no property shall be taken because they're taken in its entirety. And therefore, you must be justly compensated. And that means for the full value or more. Where's the just compensation? You You clearly bought it for less than it's worth. That's not just compensation, is it? And it's being yeah. taken allegedly for the purposes of the public because the taxes are supposed to go for the public. So hit them from that angle too. So you, and, I, and, and here's the thing, you also want to put all this in writing at some point and let him know and say, so that you cannot say later on that you did not know, you now know, because I have now informed you. Therefore, you become equally liable for the full amount that I will be suing for, which is going to be millions of dollars. Triple, treble the damages, RICO Act, treble damages on the value of the property, plus my injuries, my mental anguish, and that's kind of what we're talking about tonight, is that we now have, we're beginning to get case law that, that all of this stuff they're doing is a tort. These are injuries done upon the people, in violation of the law, by the way. So you're going to be suing, you're going to make him a party to the action. Because he is now fully informed, and he can't say that he did not know. And you send, as you know, certified mail, and so on and so forth. Right. And you bring up the case law, and, uh, you bring up the case law, and the whole purpose of what a loyal title means, and that there is no evidence anywhere, none whatsoever, that the property was ever transferred to the state or into some sort of business entity which is subject to the state. That's why I've done that whole series on that. Who has firsthand knowledge or substantial real evidence? 
that an activity subject to the state, in this case is tax, that who has first-hand knowledge of substantial evidence that an activity subject to state, where is the citizen? Steve talked about that before. Where's the citizen? Where's the specific activity that's been engaged in and who has firsthand knowledge to verify that that business for-profit activity, and it actually, because it's ad valorem tax, it has to be commercial in nature. Correct. That's how they have it as commercial. Correct. Regulated by the state was, in fact, engaged in. They don't have it. What was? What's the business name? What's the assumed name of the business? Where's that name filed in the Secretary of State's office? It's not there. Where's the application where you applied for that business activity? Or where's the court case that charged you with criminal act of engaging in an activity that is regulated by the state without a license? It's one or the other. Either you engage, and that's why when you look at the definition of citizen, it means either the, the place of the crime or event, business event. So either you're engaged in a crime because you're doing something without a license, or you had a license. So either one, where's the license or where's the charges under the criminal? Because under the criminal, they could easily take a lot more than they could put you in jail and they don't have any of that evidence. Correct. So there's only other, one other conclusion. What they're doing is unlawful. Well, just, like, just like with my house. And now they're, they're starting to market. Uh, or not, they, they're starting to... They they started to mark different things that they could not remove, and they started to mark it with like paint, M five seven whatever the case is. Because we end up sneaking in the other night and got the chicken pen, and they had it marked. So would that be that they're going to try to auction? It looks like it. Are they, they're trying to, you're not living in the property? No, I got evicted. No, we're talking about two different homes. My home, I got evicted. They threw everything in the unit. They stole so much shit. It's pathetic. They broke so much shit. But now we end up going back, sneaking in, because every time we would try to go in, a neighbor... I got three neighbors that would call the cops. Now, this so we is, end your, up, is this on your foreclosure or on the tax sale? Foreclosure. I thought you were succeeding at fighting that. No, I got evicted. That's all I was, too, Colin. Well, they did, the, the court didn't freaking listen to me. No, well, what court are you in? You're in the state court still, right? Well, then, then I end up doing an appeal. Right, and then you're still in the state. The reason you go to the other courts or the state courts is to, is to gather evidence, prima facie evidence of criminal action. That's why I've been sharing with you all about the trust and all about, the, like tonight, if you go look on your file, what they put onto the public land records as well as onto the court files, you can see evidence that they have filed in there at the very least. Again, ignore the foreclosure. This, Hey, I've got evidence here that they sold the deed of trust, and there's no provision for that. And here's the prima facie evidence of it because it says for value received. And, make, and now you sue them for a million dollars for that, that the court, uh, the, that the court allowed it. And the court is right. not sitting on its own. Again, you can, right? You can go after the sale of the the. You can go after the sheriff for the for the sale. 
Well, you can include the sheriff too. Yeah, I noticed the sher- I noticed the sheriff on mine uh, case law and everything else, and let him know that he would be. And I put in there that sentence that says, "So that you can't say you did not know uh, when the time comes." I'm informing you right now. Right. That this is what the law says. They're trying to mislead you into something else. This is what the law says. And that's that's what I do. I state the law to them, and and what's in there is. You know that 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 uh, you don't you and you can actually state that I did not authorize this type of activity. I did not authorize my property to be utilized in this way. I did not authorize a foreclosure. You can actually say that I did not authorize a foreclosure. Well, that has to do with consent, correct? The deed of trust does not authorize anyone but the lender at its option and only after the lender has performed certain duties can there be a foreclosure. And only the lender, not somebody else, not a substitute trustee, not some uh, third-party rogue uh, carpetbagger attorney firm, which is almost all the time. People think it's the bank, but it's not the bank. Right, it's the third party. Third party interlopers, carpetbagger attorneys that are just getting documents from mirrors. First of all, everything they're getting are counterfeit instruments. Everything they're doing is counterfeit. They don't have the originals. And you've got to call them on it. But, you know, but all of this is evidence of collusion of the state court to deprive you of your right to due process of law. But But if you put that all into the court, into your paperwork, and the court does not, they just overlook it. That's, that's what I'm that's, doing with now. That's the point. That's why you've got to go to to the federal court. <clears throat> a deprivation of rights suits under a 42 U.S.C. 1983. Let me read something to you real quick. This is what Steve sent me the other day. Uh, I wanted to pull this up. Tell Steve I said hi. I will. Here, I asked him a couple questions about whether you want to sue the person in their private capacity or, or in their public capacity and the principal, and I asked him general questions. Well, I must be tired because of my eyes. I need to blow this up. Hold on. <laughs> All right, here's what, it, here's what he wrote back. And just a short ditty. Generally, a government agency can only act through its employees unless they are acting as renegades in violation of agency policy these employees are merely implementing the entity's custom policy and practice. If the result of these actions is a deprivation of federal rights, both the employee and the agency can be sued. If suit against the government is permissible under the circumstances, it may be unproductive to sue the employee in her personal capacity since, one, the employer is the deep pocket, and, two, additional damages such as punitive damages are likely to be unavailable from the employee. That the employee was following agency rules probably undermines a claim that the employee possessed the requisite malice or ill will. Injunctive relief starts at the top. Damages start at the bottom. The bedrock principle is to include as defendants everyone necessary for relief. While an employee may not be able to invoke qualified immunity so long as the contours of the federal right were not clearly established, the governmental employer 
has no such defense. And that's Pearsons versus Callahan, 555-US-223-129-S-CT-1988. comma period period in 2009. If the governing law was clearly established, the plaintiff would theoretically be entitled to damages from the employee since the employee would not have qualified immunity. So that kind of lays it out that you, you, you name the employee because they knew or should have known in their position, but you kind of let them off the hook at the same time and state that they were only following the policy or custom or practice of the principal, which could, which is probably the county. So you and I out. and I also made claims, and I've been I, they threw they threw out all my claims. They throw them out or they ignore them because you're in the state. You're in the county court, hon. You got to get out of the county court. You're never going to get relief in the county courts, the appeals courts, or any of the courts. If it's in the state, they're going to support. They're going to support, and it's they will do backflips. They will bend over backwards. They'll stretch the law. They'll even completely violate the law in order to make sure that that the foreclosure goes through or the tax sale goes through because that's what they do. They're criminals, all of them. They're making too much money. They're never going to let you win a case. It's not mm-hmm. until you go to the federal and you say that as a result of this, they fail to fulfill, they fail to follow this state statute, that state statute, this state statute, that state statute, this state statute, that state statute, which means what? You have been deprived of the right of the equal protections of the law, which for people who don't like the 14th, I'm so sorry for you because that's one of the most powerful ones right there that you can use. No state shall deny any person the equal protections of the law. Very simple. No state shall deny any person with life, liberty, or property without due process of law. You've got them on two. Okay? The right to be secure in your person, houses, papers, and effects. Fourth, Fourth Amendment. There's a bunch of others you, you can go on. In, uh, you know, it, it looks you, like a lot of people are running on the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. For- and all it takes is one. Look at 18 U.S.C. subsection uh, 241. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any inhabitant in any state, territory, commonwealth, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to them by the Constitution of laws of the United States shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. Nobody ever uses that one. Even when they do the deprivation of rights, I don't know why people don't use that one. It's the most powerful one as far as I'm concerned. And then you got 18 U.S.C. 242, which is any, if, if anyone under color of law statute or whatever, uh, statute, law, code, or what is it called, custom to the deprivation of any right. So you have those two things, and they're doing both of those. Yep. And then, of course, the other ones, uh, Carol has a whole bunch of stuff. that There's a list of them. I don't even know all the list of them under 18. There's also uh, 42s. There's a whole bunch under 42s. There's 1775 or something like that. There's a whole bullet. And then, like you said, with the tax thing, as well as when, when they send it through the mail, you can get them under mail fraud. Did you listen last week to the thing with, with uh, the, uh, the recording? Oh, Steve, yeah. I, that was years ago, yes. Right, but I I went and explained a few things. You might want to listen to either listen to it hard yourself uh, under the Rocky and Bo show, which I which is on YouTube. It's called right. Remove Your Taxes. 
listen to it again and listen to the terms that he uses. Do you have a website, Colin, for that? Yeah, I do. Thank you. First of all, last week is I did the whole thing, okay? And I stopped it and did commentary. If you want that, which hopefully is more helpful because it explains certain things that people might have questions on. If you don't want to hear me and my explanations and interruptions, listen to the seven-part series, and you will find it at YouTube, and you type in, remove your property from the tax roll, part one through seven. Remove your property from the tax roll, part one through seven, one dash seven. From the tax who? Tax roll, R-O-L-L. Remove your, Y-O-U-R, property, P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y, from, F-R-O-M, the, T-H-E, tax, T-A-X, roll, R-O-L-L, part, P-A-R-T, one, dash, seven. And they'll link one, one, and go right into the next one. Once one stops, mm-hmm. go right into the next one. Did uh, Rocco get out of jail yet? I have no idea. I've been, I haven't been keeping up with them. I I know this is an old show, but it's still pointing today. And that's what I was trying to say at the end of the show last time when, when um, Knucklehead comes on and tries to challenge me. I go, oh, I thought you said he didn't know his last thing, all that stuff. Okay. Try to tell him I'm not going to bring Steve on, and here's a reason. He's not going to say anything different. And for those I, people who don't know what I'm mimicking, you need to go and find Jeff, J-E-F-F, Dunham, D-U-N-H-A-M, it's called Arguing With Myself, and he has a puppet. He's, he's a ventriloquist with a puppet. He's phenomenal. And the last one is with Peanut, my favorite one, which is Peanut, which is near the end. You can type in Peanut and find it for yourself. And he does this section about the traffic. And he goes, you know, the, the traffic really sucks. He says, well, why don't they let me do the weather report, save everybody a lot of time and, and trouble? He goes, okay. He's like, well, you know, here we are this morning, and guess what? There's a traffic jam. You know why? Because everyone left the house at the same damn time. And they says, and call me tonight at 5 o'clock, and guess what? I'll tell you the same damn thing, except guess what? They're going the other way. So that's my imitation of what he's saying, how stupid people are. Generation after generation after generation, they get up and get it and leave their house at the same damn time. And in the evening, they leave the office at the same damn time. It's so stupid, and people just won't change. They're so stupid. And that's just stupidity. Stupidity, actually, they say in Sandy's when you keep doing the same thing, expect a different result. So how can people, you know, expect a different result and they keep doing the same damn thing? But it's, 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 that's what I'm saying about Steve. Um, I've listened to the two recordings. If you listen to this recording, there's also one on my, my private audio, and, it, and it's listed right there, you know, as, as uh, I think he calls me the Rico Man or uh, Orlando Steve, I forget what they call him. And guess what? You listen, that was almost exactly the same thing. This, I think this recording is better because it's more clear. He, they had a little um, audio problems on the other one. But I've listened to him probably 50 times, 100 times when I call him at you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. We, we talk to 5 o'clock in the morning. The only difference is, is that when he talks to me, um, there's a lot more uh, F-bombs and everything else. I mean, you know, we just normal guy talking stuff, and, and the conversation is... Uh, can be, uh, uh, let's put it this way, more colorful um, and in between. But what about but he, what about Bill Turner? I just started Bill, listening to him. Bill Turner? Yes. 
I don't know who Bill Turner is. Are you that I've forgotten? What does he talk about? Taxes or what? Everything. Yeah, basically, who you are, courts. I can't. I can't. I can't really say. I don't know if he's right on or not. If it, let's put it this way: the people that I listen to, and 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 uh, Steve will tell you if you listen to him who he learned from. Okay, uh, so you can listen to it who who he learned from. Everyone had somebody that they listened to, and then they went and actually read it for themselves. I've talked to to Steve many times on the phone. He's a trip. Yeah, and and he'll repeat the same things over and over and over again, won't he? Because guess what? It's the same damn law. It's the I same know. damn statute. Why do people keep trying to find something that's not there? I know. I know, Colin. Think to yourself, you know. How many times have I can I can I tell people from heart the unanimous Declaration of Independence? I mean, you know, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except wherefore a person shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or territory subject to its jurisdiction. Well, I take out the part in the middle because you haven't been convicted, duly convicted of any crime, so I take it out. It's not necessary. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in the United States or territory subject to its jurisdiction. What freaking part do you not understand about that? Oh, well, they're going to change the statute. The problem is statute changing rate and whatever they want. No, they can't. Statutes are only changed when it goes to the legislature. They amend them, but they don't completely wipe them out. Sometimes what they do is, is, is eliminate them. But, gee, guess what? Anytime a statute's not acting constitutional, it's been governed to be or determined to be unconstitutional, it must be abolished immediately. Duh. Like I said, you look at 18 U.S.C. 241. If two or more persons conspire to injure, press, threaten, or intimidate any person, any, okay, that's what it used to be. I went and reread it again lately because looking up for somebody else, and guess what? They've changed it, and rightly so, because the difference between when a person, if two or more persons, which are officers or other agents, conspire to injure, oppress, or intimidate, it used to be any person. Well, that doesn't work, because we're not persons. Guess what it says now? Inhabitants. It's an improvement. Any inhabitant in any state, territory, commonwealth, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment, hello, smile on your face, of any right or privilege. So all those assholes out there say, well, if you got a privilege from the state, the state can take it away from you, and they can tell you, bullshit. Right or privilege secured by the Constitution, laws of the United States, or laws of the United States. That's where you, now you have UFC, United States Code. That's the laws of the United States. In the free exercise of any right or privilege secured by the Constitution, laws of the United States, shall be, shall be fined, or in prison, not more than 10 years, or both. Now, is there any part of that people can't get their freaking heads wrapped around? What they're doing is unlawful. Correct. The law is clear. Go read the freaking statutes for yourself. Most of them are only about two paragraphs at all. Some of them are only one paragraph or one sentence long. Go look them up yourself. Yes, there's 3,000 of them, but guess what? Each one of them is all of like one line long. I got a few already pulled up right now. I go to no state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privilege or means of citizens of the United States. No, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Nor shall any state deprive any person of equal protection of law. Now go look up some of those case laws, and you can see how you can use the Fourteenth in order to sue these people and win. Why would you throw away a whole? That's the whole thing. What? That's that's the whole thing. Go and sue the suckers. 
the point the point that I'm making is this. I don't have to be a citizen in order to bring a claim as a citizen because I'm entitled to what? How many times I said it? The right of the people to be secure in their persons. So I can have a person. One of, my, one of the things, if I am a sovereign man upon the land, I am entitled to all of the rights and all of the privilege and all of the immunities. And every one of my persons, I have the right to be secure in all of my persons. They're injuring my persons. So I'll be a 14th Amendment person or 14th Amendment citizen as long as it benefits me because I'm entitled to all the freaking benefits. It doesn't diminish my capacity at all. It's a weapon and I'm going to use it. It's a fact that it proves that issues of the issue is that they are the ones that are violating the law. It's not even what I'm entitled to. I don't even need to make a claim. All I need to do is show what? I've been injured. And there's a law that says that what they did, they cannot do. So they violated the law, which they definitely are subject to. And in doing so, I was injured. There's my freaking claim. And I haven't claimed to be anything. All I'm doing well, that, is that, 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 that would be your claim of trespass. I've been injured. Right. Not just trespass, I've been injured. Right. And the, 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 the rights violation, I've been violated of what right? To freely enjoy my property. I haven't seen a case where, they, where the case is happening. When somebody brings a 42-1983, I haven't seen a case law that says, oh, you're not entitled to those rights. You're not entitled to enjoy your rights, privileges, and immunities. You're not entitled to this. You're a citizen. You're a 14th. I've never seen it where the, uh, where the other side says, where the state says, it is, oh, well, you're a 14th Amendment citizen, and you, you can't do anything. So why on earth would you press something like that? If, it doesn't, if they're not using it, why would you want to use it? It right. just doesn't make any sense. People right. need to quit doing this shit. Right. It's it, what it is. It's it's Contel Pro. What it is. It's it's uh it's plant. Uh, what is it called? Um, it's plant. What do they call it? Um um. Well, you end up getting two new puppies. What is it called? It's it's Contel Pro stuff. What it is. It's it's they create opposition. Controlled opposition. That's what it is. It's controlled opposition. They put out lies. Yep. They put out lies. Just If you read the law for yourself, the lies will roll off your back and you'll get upset like I am right now. You'll see it doesn't freaking matter. Why? Because if you read enough case law, you will not see anywhere where any judge or any court has said, oh, well, you claim to be a 14th Amendment citizen and therefore you're not entitled to any rights. I haven't seen it. If they're not claiming it, why the frick would you want to? Now, I have seen a case where a guy came in as a sovereign citizen and the court said, you don't have capacity, and they gave him the opportunity to correct it. They said, you have a case here. You have standing to bring a case. We're not saying whether you win or not, but you clearly have standing. So he's got over the standing thing. That's the most important thing. But the state said, uh, the, 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 I think it was the federal court said, that you can, we cannot, because there is no such entity as a sovereign citizen. And the guy refused to change it, to become whatever else he wanted. He could have been a, probably could have said he was a sovereign. He could have said he was a citizen. He could have said he was, uh, 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 I don't know. So I, 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 call my, I call myself one of the people, one of the sovereign people, whatever you want. But he refused. Guess what? Hey, dismiss the case because he didn't have capacity. I recently spoke to a, a high-end lawyer uh, three months ago. Two months ago, 
I'm sorry. And that was, and that was one of his things: is they don't have standing. Period. Nope. Or capacity. Well, that was his biggest thing. He just said they don't have standing. And the appeal court cannot issue any orders. Right. The appeals court is going to tell, is going to, you know, well, that's not true. They, the way that they, they, the way they did it in my case, they, uh, in order for them to make an order, they, they hold on a minute. In order to, um, in order to make the order, they had to take original jurisdiction. So they can, but they have to take original jurisdiction, which is what a writ of man, mandamus is about. But I have my, I see this every day, all day long. Everything, you know, there's nothing. It, 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 I've experienced it myself. Delay of the mail. They hold it for 14 days when I only have 15 days in which to respond. Oh my God! Do they ever do that? They've done it to me. They're starting they to do, do that. They do it all the time. That's when you learn to go on the internet, and that's when you go and, and find out what's going on in your case and see if there's anything on the docket sheet. And when you file something, you better go and double check and make sure they put it on the docket. Because I've ha- I've seen that too, where they received it, they didn't put it on the docket for a month and a half. Okay. Yes. Or when they when they ended on an order, they gave it to you, like you said, three weeks later, and you got two days to to uh, respond. I'm really noticing that they're really doing that to me right now. Right, but there's see the thing is for ev- for everything that they do, there's a counteraction. Okay, that's what I'm saying. This is an adversarial action in any in more ways than you think. And that's why I try to share all my experience with people exactly for this reason, so that you can be prepared and know what to do and how to do it and what they're going to do and all their tricks. And once you do, pretty soon you're going to learn how to con- how to everything they do, you're going to use it instead of getting upset and emotional and freaked out and pissed off. You're going to sit there and go, mm-hmm, that's another million dollars. Thank you very much. You deprive me of this right. You go look up the right. You go look up the case law, and you're going to add it as another charge or another claim, mm-hmm. another cause of action, and you put it in there. there you, the fact that there – and you heard Steve talk about that. Yeah, you can go through the whole uh, – where they're using the public mail, the U.S. mail, and go into all that. Yeah, how do you end up getting them on mail fraud? Go read – and I, I know you're eating right now. And what are you eating? Well, I'm just eating potato chips. I got to go actually pretty soon. I, I was trying to share some stuff that. Okay, I'll I'll mute out. And uh, yeah, I was just trying to share a few things that might be useful if you go look at that deed of trust thing and see that they don't have any authority. Again, the strategy here is to um, you know that they're criminals. It's kind of like. How can I put this? It's kind of like the cops that refuse. You keep telling them that your house, that that, that your your business is getting robbed, and the cops completely refuse to come by. So what do you do? You go get video cameras, and your video and guess what you catch on the video camera? You catch the cops helping the criminals. Okay, and that's what you that's what you're doing here. You're creating a chain of evidence that you can then use in a federal court. It's not going to do any good in the state. You know, that's like, uh, you know, going before the wolves and going, hey, one of your wolves, you know, uh, chewed on my, my left leg. 
what do you think the other wolves are going to say? Well, that's just too bad. Okay? And then you get upset. What else do you... I understand getting upset, but you've been in this long enough to know that, you know, this is old hat stuff to you. Uh, for the people who have never been there, haven't fought yet, this is... You're going to get... this. You need to have a thick skin. But forewarned. If you know ahead of time, you're like, goody, goody, goody. You'll set traps for them. And when I say traps, what you're doing is you're... You, you're micing yourself up. You're getting video of it. You're, you're making a record. All of that. And then, like I said before, one of the greatest strategies that someone told me was you go back to the court when you file an affidavit, you file anything, anything that you file in the court, you then turn right around and get a certified notarized copy from the court so that when you go to another court, guess what? They can't deny it. And then we haven't even talked about what I wanted, what I'm, another thing that I wanted to talk about because my friend, uh, I, I knew already, Okay, because I've been experienced with this. But we, we, he did a rescission. I've done a rescission. He was going to court in order to record his rescission in default. Okay? And I already know in Maryland they used to be that they would file anything. You paid them $35, they'd file anything. Now they're only allowed, allowing the criminals to file anything, not the homeowners file, filing anything. Okay? Because I wanted, I wanted to file uh, erroneous, it's called erroneous filing, uh, erroneous uh, recording because they're recording these uh, um, alleged assignment of these, of these uh, deeds of trust, and there's no provision, so it's an erroneous filing, okay? And that's, I actually learned that from the banks who did that, okay, because somebody had filed something, and they then, the bank came behind it and said that it was an erroneous filing. Well, they won't let me file an erroneous filing, okay? They won't let me file anything, which is a deprivation of another right, okay? So now I'm making a record of that. And see, but he goes up there to file what should be a simple thing to file a notice, the notice of rescission. If you go read the case, the Supreme Court case, which was Silinensky or something like that, I forget how you pronounce it. And um, and in the case, the court, the, the Supreme Court clearly stated that notice is sufficient. That they then have 20 days in which to go to court and bring an action in order to stop your rescission. The rescission is a matter of fact; it has to be turned overturned by a court after they show substantial real evidence, okay, as to why your rescission should be overturned, which even then it probably still can't by law. That's, but that's another issue right now. I'm just saying they have 20 days. The shoe is on the other foot. That's the beautiful thing about Tilla and the rescission, okay? And it's from the moment of, of, of um, uh, consummation. So for all those people that's happened a long time ago, and I got a whole bunch of case law. If somebody wants to send me an email, I'll send you a copy of this thing. A boatload of case law that's on void judgments and standing, lack of standing, and so on that you can attack it at any time. And there's even case law on that 20 and 30 years later, somebody has gone after on a collateral attack on standing and said that the court didn't have jurisdiction because they didn't have standing. And the court said, as much as we don't like it, tough shit. If, if, because that which is done in fraud is fraud is fraud is fraud. It's void, it's void ab initio. It's void from the beginning. And all you're doing is basically correcting the record say, remove this, this, this injury. So, uh, shoot, I just lost where I was going with that. Um, shoot, where was I going with that? Deed of trust. Um... Oh, I know. Yeah, all the case law on the um, on 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 a void. So, oh, so when you, when you get when you make your record, you can show that each and every one of these, and then you look it up under the statute to see what statute they have violated. So they're violating the laws, which means you have been 
you have been deprived of a right to rely upon those laws as being enforceable upon them. Not about you, it's about them. And I know there's something else I was something else I was going after. Oh, each and everything they do, you make a record of you get a copy from them, certified notarized copy from them because uh, you can judicially notice them of that because that is a record. They can't deny that. Um, what else was there? There was one other little piece I want to give you. Deed of trust. Shoot, I lost it. Sorry, guys. Information, too. Where was it? I was going to look it up. Hmm. You did mention about um, you had a whole heap of case law that... That if we emailed you, you'd, you'd send yeah, it. Yeah, email me at truthmonitor6 at gmail.com, um, and I'll send you. I have to redact it. And um, I'll send you because I have a list of case law on, on those two those two major things. Um, I would not put it into a pleading like that, you know, where you, the, they listed it all out like you did. I would do a few of them, but I would put them as. as um, um, what they call it, supporting, supporting case law, supporting evidence, after you know, afterwards, uh, at the end, so that they'll actually read the principle, and that that's the art of writing too. Um, there's knowing how many cases to put in there and which ones are most profound, and then all of your supporting stuff afterwards, um, and the principle. And I mentioned that this earlier is that we need to lay a foundation on principle. Which a lot of us don't do, so I'm I'm onto that now. Is we have to lay it out as a principle. And uh, gosh darn it, I know there was something I can't think of what it was. It was important too. I'll listen to this recording and I'll remember it. Um, foreclosure. What was I talking about? Foreclosure. The note. The deed of trust. Standing. How about breaking their own laws? Well, capacity, they were talking about capacity. But, yeah, I think it's just the same thing over and over again, that, that the courts, you have to um, gather your evidence, gather your evidence, gather your evidence for your injury, injury, injury. And that's what you're going after. You're not arguing the foreclosure. You're arguing. You're not arguing. You're presenting a claim because you were injured. You were injured this way. You're injured that way. But one thing I must tell you once again, and I say it over and over and over and over again, and I'm going to ask you a simple question. And every time you want to answer this question in front of a jury or anybody else, ask yourself a simple question. And I'm going to ask it. Is there anyone here, anyone, that remembers or can prove or show any evidence whatsoever that you received anything of substance or value, either in your account, somebody else's account on your, benef- on your behalf, or in your hand, or otherwise, prior. Listen to the listen to the, the condition here. Prior to you signing and delivering the note and the deed of trust. Okay, Colin. They're only buying data. What? They're buying data. There's a big difference between the note and the mortgage. I don't understand what that's got to do with the question just asked. I didn't hear. I'm sorry. I walked away from the question. The question is a simple one. 
Is there anyone who's been foreclosure and is getting foreclosure, anyone who has an alleged loan now, is there anyone out there? If so, tell them to give me a call because they'll be the first that received and will testify under oath or knows anybody who can testify under oath of anybody who received something, either a certified check, a transfer of funds to somebody else on your behalf or into your account prior to, okay, kind of like when you go outside and it's snowing, what's the first thing you do? You put on a coat. Prior to going outside, is there anyone who can say that they received anything of substance or value or anything transferred or done on their behalf, substance or value, prior to signing and delivering or handing over the note and the deed of trust? I don't care if it happened you know, you handed them the note to deed of trust, and they handed you a, you know, a, a certified check after you, you when you, it was an exchange went on. That might be close, but it's not quite there. No. Go look up the definition of loan and lender. And, but, and, and also look up definition of data. I understand where you where, where you're at, but right now that's a side subject. That's a different subject. What I'm trying to get across to people right now, the most simple thing we have to get our head wrapped around something, because one of the hardest things that people do. My friend has been at this for four years now, and he still will sit there and go, "Well, the lender gave me this, and I got my loan here." And he keeps using that damn phrase. And all you got to do is say that one time in court. They go, "Oh, you got a loan. You got a loan. You admitted you got a loan." Well, that, that just the whole loan, Colin. The whole thing is you admitted that you got the loan. That's what I'm trying to explain to people, hon. I'm trying to get people to go, to recognize the fact that as a matter of fact, this is not a trick, it's not guru, you can swear under oath that you did not receive a loan prior to you receiving them, excuse me, you signing the note and the deed of trust and giving it to them. And for people listening, look at your docs and look at the mortgage and it says on the first sentence, I received this loan. No. Whatever it says. It says. No, because it's a legal document, the wording is extremely important. Think of it as a computer program. Okay? In return for a loan I have received, comma, I promise to pay. Clearly, the promise to pay is dependent upon, okay, dependent upon having received, past tense, a loan. Kind of like you have to have a little finger in order to pick your nose with a little finger. Okay, if you don't have a little finger, you, there's no one can sit there and testify that they picked their nose with a little finger. It's just that simple. If you did not receive a loan prior to, have received a loan. Look up the definition of loan. Look up the word received, past tense. Somebody had to give you something. I don't care if it was gold, a note, something of substance and value in your hot little hand, deposit it into your account, or transfer it into somebody else's account prior to. Here's a simple way of thinking about it. If I never gave you a $20 bill, how can you return me a $20 bill? 
If I never put a $20 bill in your hand, how can you possibly give me back $20? You can't. And that's the, that is the whole thing that is the crux of everything. You did not receive a loan prior to giving the note and prior to making that promise to pay. That promise to pay is conditional. It's called a condition proceeding. That promise to pay is conditional upon you having received past tense. There is no question. It is ultimately clear. Just like pay to the order of. If it's left blank, there's no one to make the order. The bank cannot cash it. It is a dead instrument because there's no one to order the payment. That's what people don't get. Signed in blank means, and look it up under UCC. It shall put in that blank. It's paid to the order of a bearer or cash or some other indication that the bearer is entitled to it. You cannot leave it blank. Now, the definition of blank signature. Blank signature, go look it up. It means like when you have a check and you flip it over and you don't put paid to the order of or anybody's name. You just sign it. That's a blank signature. Okay, back to the... Back to the UCC, would that be 308 or 506? I'm talking about UCC 3 because UCC 3 is the one for negotiable instruments and every one of these courts, including the damn Supreme Court, are treating these notes as, as negotiable instruments when clearly they are not a conditional, they are not an unconditional promise to pay. Okay. Right there, UCC 3, it says the definition of a negotiable instrument, and it has to be, is unconditional promise to pay. No conditions whatsoever. Well, isn't the very first line in return for a, a loan I have received, I promise to pay? That is a condition. It's okay. Condition. So, so Colin, if you would end up putting on... And I I don't know the UCC, but if you if you would end up putting on unconditional, or it's not um, shoot, it's 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 not the um. Even if uh, I'm going to answer your question, even if the opening statement, the condition precedent was fulfilled, it might be considered an a, a unconditional promise to pay, although it's not. But let's just say you can get past the first line. You say that in return for a loan I have received. Let's just say that, that even though it is a condition proceeding, let's just say once if it is fulfilled, then that kind of negates the fact that it's conditional, that it can, in fact, be assigned and transferred. Well, hold on a minute. Let's go to the next line. The lender or anyone who takes this note by transfer and is entitled to payments under this note, shall be called the note holder. And from that point on, the only thing that is mentioned, the lender is no longer mentioned, borrower is no longer mentioned, it's just the only one that has any rights under that note is the note holder. It says note holder this, note holder that, note holder this, note holder that. And it talks about the funds, if there's an overage, then this, and the interest rate, and da-da-da. So there's all sorts of conditions in there. 
So yeah, okay. you can overpay. Oh, how, much goes, how much goes there and how much does? These are all conditions of the note, and anyone who takes it must take it by transfer because they accept all of the conditions of that instrument, which means it's not an unconditional instrument. It, in fact, is a conditional instrument, which means that all of the crap that has to go with UCC3 doesn't go. And if you look at UCC3, it says that there's a challenge between UCC3 and UCC5 or 8, that 8 will, will I think it is, that, that 9. Nine that nine supersedes. Supersedes means that it takes precedence. So even there, okay. But even if you use UCC three, you can still use UCC three because they can't. They can't show that they in fact are entitled payments under the note. Well, then how in the hell are they fucking taking in thousands? Excuse my French. It's called theft. Theft by deception. And the courts. Are, are failing. I call, as I said, I already indicted. If you listen to the last show, I actually went into court with my friend, and I did. I did the, my my thing, which I've been telling everybody, you know, what to do with the UCC. Uh, not, I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, 18 USC subsection four misprism of felony. I went in there and I used it uh, to my advantage. I said under use US uh, 18 USC subsection four misprism of felony. If a person has knowledge of any crime that is cognizable in the court of the United States and fails to make known to some judge or other officer of the United States, shall be fined or imprisoned not more than three years or both. So that's the first thing I quoted to her was that. I said, so that I cannot be charged under UCC, uh, I mean, uh, under uh, 18 USC subsection 4, Ms. Prison Appellate, I am here making known to you, some judge, that I am aware of and had knowledge of crimes in this case. And then I went through and started listing them, which I, you've heard me mention before, that there's no provision or that, that the deed of trust is absent any provision for a substitution of trustee, da 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 and all those things. And they're coming in, and that this party is coming in under the deed of trust, and they're not claiming to come in under anything else. And they're coming, and they're coming in as alleged substitute trustees when there's when the, the deed of trust is completely absent any provision for such thing, as well as there's it's completely absent any provision for any trustee to bring a foreclosure action. So therefore, this is a breach of trust, which is actually which actually constitutes a crime because it's depriving him uh, of the enforcement of contract. Because Article One, Section Ten clearly states that no state should make any law uh, regarding the obligation abridging the obligation of contract, which is exactly what's going on here. Because that which is not provided within the contract itself or the deed of trust is an abridgment, and therefore he's been denied of a due process of law, and he's been denied the right to contract and the enforcement of the obligation thereof. And then I went okay. on to say that no court, it, no, court is, no court is authorized to enforce contract that doesn't exist. She started talking over me. I let her run her big mouth, and then I sat there and said, have you seen the deed of trust? And her head bowed, okay? An answer that was not responded when, it, when it's required in the affirmative constitutes the negative. Therefore, she has not seen it. Then three weeks later, I go in and I said, do you remember? She goes, yes. And I said, well, have you followed up on, on my reporting to you? She goes, I have no reason to. I said, you most certainly do. And I found just said, found case all that says, because if I can do three years for not reporting to you of an activity that's cognizable of a court in the United States, you now have that same thing, if not more, if you fail to do something about it. So so now, and I said, I asked you before, have you seen the deed of trust and you failed to answer? Pause, I paused, I paused. She failed to correct the record and say, yes, I have seen it. So that was her second opportunity. Now her third opportunity said, now I'm going to ask you point blank. Have you read the note or the deed of trust? Uh, 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 I don't see anything wrong with the paperwork. 
That was a complete avoidance of the question. The question was direct. Have you read the note of the deed of trust? What did she say? I do not see anything wrong with the paperwork. Well, lady, if you haven't read it, how the hell can you see anything? You see, it's an avoidance of the question, which now basically I've got evidence to indict her that she has not performed her duty as required because a court cannot enforce a contract that doesn't exist, and she has no authority to enforce something she's never read. So now I've set up, now I've got her and I got it recorded. So it's all recorded right there. So it's a policy of the state, of the county, to have the judges not even read the freaking contracts that they're enforcing. And they're allowing the enforcement. And in fact, the order of the court, they're the ones enforcing false and fraudulent, uh, what's it called? False and fraudulent uh, uh, claims. Yep. So, so because she hasn't read it, she doesn't know that there's security. That everyone who knows anything about a contract is there's security for both sides. And they're completely negating the security for our side. And we're the grantors. We're the creators of it. That's a trust. That's a breach of trust. And trust is heavy duty. So she's enforcing contract that doesn't exist. She's also breaching the trust of the securities that are within it and allowing counterfeit instruments into the court. And I'm, I'm seeing all seen in Pennsylvania. A lot of judges are leaving. Well, I don't care about that. All I know is what what we need to do, and this is what I believe we need to do. That's what I'm in the process of doing. Speaking of which, I've gone 18 minutes over the time I said I would. I hope this information helps. If anyone has any questions, I'll give it another five minutes if you have a specific question that is pertinent to the subject matter. Okay, I hope you guys got that. The uh, Living Lies, go look that up where they're talking about it being um, uh, similar to um, the um, what happens in war. Um, and it's an, ongoing, it's an ongoing rape, and that's another thing I wanted to mention. I know it was one other thing I wanted to mention, um, and that is that uh, they always talk about statute of limitations. And my opinion is, uh, I haven't tested it, tried it, uh, so so don't take it as fact, but I know by law it is, but it's not tested. But what I'm going to use is the fact that this is an ongoing crime because every day that I am not in my home, every day that I am being deprived of due process of law, every day that all this goes on, it's an ongoing crime, so there's no statute of limitations. Okay? And like we said, uh, I'll send you those cases where even 20 years later, even 30 years later, there's case law that says if standing can be challenged at any time and capacity can be challenged at any time and jurisdiction can be challenged at any time. And the reason is simple. That which is void is void. Just because it's not recognized, that's what I've been saying. Just because it's not recognized today doesn't mean that it won't be recognized tomorrow. So, like I said, go back to the original statement. Just because the legal system has been running roughshod over the law does not mean that the law is impotent, but merely gathering evidence that people will gather the evidence for the day when justice returns. And if justice will return when we file these, these documents properly with all the evidence that we need properly laid out with the intent of the law laid out and the evidence of our injury laid out as well as the statutes which they violated and broken laid out as well as the uh, uh, Constitution, as well as the United States Code of, uh, of Deprivation of Rights laid out and properly put together the prima facie action and you'll bring them to the, the, to the negotiation table and they'll pay you a couple million dollars to go away and to bury the case. And then you'll be well-practiced to do it again. 
And I also wanted to minister to people, let them know that you, 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 you've been injured, you've been raped, and you just got to learn how to come out of it and get back, get somehow get back to that stance of that you know you you need to go after and get your go after the damages because you've already been injured. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not the bad person like they make you out to be. Okay. So that's that's the most important. And then of like we started off, repetition, repetition, repetition. The more you read, and and the let really the less talking. As I don't do much talking. I mean, this show is it. Um, and the only time I do talking is to get it so that my dialogue is precise as to what I just read so that I can, when the time comes for me to present it, that it will come and flow easily. So I practice on everybody. So uh, that's also another thing. Practice, practice, practice. And go into court, get yourself accustomed to that atmosphere. It's completely set up. I actually studied this in college, atmosphere, how they set the stage for intimidation. Uh, and the only way to do that is to get get out of the intimidation is to go in there over and over and over again until you, you get more comfortable in that and get comfortable with the process. And the biggest thing is to recognize this is yours and it's been hijacked by these people. But this is your government, this is your court, this is your stuff and these are your laws and you have the right to it. So with that, I'm going to sign off unless anyone has some other comments or questions they want to ask. I'm going to sign off. That doesn't mean the show is signed off. So you guys can talk talk anything you want. Well, Colin, thank you. I'm back. I made a few phone calls and did some things that I needed to deal with, and then I come on to chat, and <laughs> and, I, and I was blocking someone. There's someone that's, you know, Colin, I just want to thank you first, you know, before I get into my little spill about whoever was gets on chat every once in a while. But, no, thank you so much for covering for me there. I had some things that I needed to deal with, and, Otherwise, I couldn't think, you know, or concentrate on, on the show. I was actually just going to cancel tonight. So thank you so much. You're a blessing. And thank you, everyone, for coming. And, you know, uh, like Colin says, Colin did t- tell me, you know, um, when he was going to cover for me here that um, he didn't wasn't going to stay long. You know, everybody's busy, and we all do have lives and, and things in our lives we do have to tend to. So sometimes these talk shows are not as important as dealing with things in her own life, and I do totally understand that. <clears throat> but uh, I, I do appreciate what you did for me, Colin, there. I got a few things out of my mind. And then I come oh. on the talk show, or the the chat, and I thought, well, I'll see how things are going while I'm waiting for a phone call. And then, you know, there's, I, I think I um, uh, blocked the chat, which I'm not do I don't do all the time. Well, what have I got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times of someone that comes on with the consistent rude comments. And I mean quite obviously, just rude. And you know, what bothers me the most and what makes me sad the most is that these talk shows are gonna be here forever, you know, unless the government destroys the internet totally. These talk shows are for our generation, for the next generation, for young people, for old people, for whoever, beginners, new ones coming, um, us old folks that are still learning how to ride the horse, you know, and and you get these ignorant people or trolls or whatever you want to call them that just want to come on and disrupt. You know, I like to to have them right in my face and, and do that, you know, because I'd probably hit them with my Bible or my cane, one or the other. You know, it's it just, it just <laughs> they got me excited, you can tell. 
But I'm telling you, yeah, it's it's just disgusting how how some people are, right? You know, I I just and I, I guess all we can do is ignore it and realize that we're living in a world that you're going to get assholes like that. And um, anyway, I I hope this jerk, whoever it is, male or female, hears what I have to say. And I think they're just totally disgusting. And, you know, uh, I hope they find life, you know, something better to do than just come on our talk shows and try to disrupt. And, you know, that's the problem with the world, the evil in the world, you know, that we're here trying to work together and and help each other. And, you know, um, with this jerk you know if he fell down in the ditch we'd probably be the first one there to pull him out so um anyway <clears throat> that's my two cents worth sorry people but uh <laughs> good for you now we're talking <laughs> i'm telling you you know i'm telling you i was a uh you know not an easy chick to push over when i when i was little if i had this person i said to him you know yeah they'll hide behind a number but you, come on, bring your face up here, or your name, or something, you know. But they won't, eh? Cowards. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> anyway, thank you everybody for coming, and uh, thank you so much, Colin. I know you've got so much on your plate, and you're, and you're such a wealth of information. And and uh, repetition's great because uh, we've got to take this all in. I'm I'm still mind boggled with all this, but <clears throat> every time I listen to you, and, and you know. And and when we go around, uh, you know, I go around the internet, or you know, you listen to other people on YouTube or something. Things you say are are, are you know hitting home, and you think, okay, okay, yeah. And it, it just takes time to get put all the the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, because like you say, we've been you know we've never been taught this stuff. We've been you know raised in a, a totally different type of world, and uh, you know. Um, a totally different spirit and a, a very bad spirit at, at that, very evil spirit. So um, uh, you've been a blessing, Colin. Thank you so much. My and, pleasure. Yeah, if any, anyone else, um, you know, has a subject they want to talk about, um, my mind's so boggled. I did have a, a couple of things I was I was going to mention that I had been studying and researching um, but I'll let you go if you wish, Colin. But I, I do have something that has just come up into mind. It's not very big. I'm not a, a big talker. But I have been writing uh, to the Ministry of Transportation here in Ontario about, uh, you know, um, um, surrendering, surrendering my, my driver's license and um, I want my information there at the MTO um, dissolved or destroyed or whatever, you know, because I, I feel my private or not private information, I feel that they shouldn't, you know, once I um, surrender or dissolve my driver's license with them, I feel that they, it's not necessary for them to have any more of my information. You know, I think it should be destroyed. <clears throat> anyway, I did get a letter back from them stating that they feel that they have the right to keep my information um, for, here's a few specific reasons. If you're involved in a car accident, which I I haven't been, but here's a few issues that they'll keep your information even if you dissolve or surrender your driver's license. 
they'll keep your information for a, a specific period of time. I still have more research to do on this. If you're involved in a car accident, say, for example, okay, and, and you owe a judgment, you owe money or, or whatever, you know, you owe something to someone, say you damaged their automobile, and, and uh, so they'll keep your information if you owe a judgment, if you owe a debt, um, they'll keep if there's anything criminal. Now, I don't know exactly what they consider criminal, whether it be parking tickets, uh, DUIs, um, speeding. I, I'm not sure that I have to do more research, but they will not just dissolve or, or destroy your private personal information uh, just on your requirement. Just thought I'd I'd mention that to friends. I, I have found that out. That's here in Ontario, Canada, anyway. So um, I'll do some more research on that. I I don't think that's right. I I think you know everything. Um, you know all your your information should be, um, as far as I'm concerned, should be should be totally um, uh, you know destroyed if uh, you require it to be. You got a contract with someone, and you're breaking the contract, and you say, "Okay, you have no business uh, with any more of my information, whether it be a social insurance number or an OHIP card, or um, you know uh, who my son daughter is, or you know who I'm married to, or whatever. You have no right or um, you know to any more of my information." So, anyway, I found out that no, they don't here in Ontario destroy any information even though you disassociate yourself with them and re surrender your driver's license. So I just thought I'd mention that. That's just something it took them about two weeks to get back to me for that. Two or three weeks. So you know the way uh, things go. It always takes so much time. Anyway, um, that's all I have to share on, on that issue, friends. Anyone else has got anything they'd like to say? I can't read the chat board and talk at the same time. <clears throat> are you still with us, Colin, or are you left? I I'm sort of here. <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't matter. I, I didn't want to hold you up anymore, so I'm saying if you do want to go. Well, um, I'm, I'm just sort of hanging out and for a couple minutes while I'm going to get something to eat, but I I just wanted to relax my jaw and... Yeah, yeah, you relax. Okay, I'm just yeah, checking. People talk, but if something comes up, I can... Did you ask a question? No, no, no. You go ahead, relax, and uh, if something comes up, you know, if you want to do whatever you want to do and you're still listening, that's fine. I'm just going to see how many friends are on the chat here. Um, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We've got a nice crowd. Um, you know, I'm just quick note i've been reading this book um it's i got it for like five cents <laughs> so legal books are easy to get <clears throat> it's about three four hundred page book but it's called federal jurisdiction and i'm finding it very interesting and i and the reason i love buying these books for you know whatever 50 cents sometimes you get them for free <clears throat> um and i love taking the highlighter and just highlighting the crap out of them and it's so much fun you know and but it really at first, I thought I was wasting my time because the guy kept going on and on explaining things. I was like, I really don't want this. I want the meat. I want the tweeter stuff. I started to become a tweeter type mentality again. And um, But I recently had to go somewhere, and I didn't want to bring my laptop. So I just said, ah, if I lose this book, I don't care. So I brought it with me. I started highlighting it on the bus and on the train. 
And it really is what I call the finer points of understanding jurisdiction of the federal courts and what they can and can't do. And that is that has changed once again. It's going to help me perfect the way that I address my writing to the federal court to show that they have jurisdiction. That I'm that if I that you in fact it goes this whole thing about declaratory judgment that you can get a declaratory judgment if it it prevents an injury. But if it doesn't prevent an injury or uh, 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 constitutes some sort of a um, relief, then they can't do it. So. That's something that I've been mentioning it uh, unknowingly, and then here's confirmation. You must show an injury, and you must show that you were deprived <coughs> of a right when it comes to 42-1983, and as a result, you were injured. This is that's, huge. That's huge correct. Important. That's correct, Colin. You've got to show harm or injury on the federal court. And you have to establish that injury and you have to establish that that court is one of the first things that everyone will tell you that they get screwed on is thing called jurisdiction of the court. It's the first thing that they would do, even if you per- perfectly laid it out. <clears throat> and if you talk to Steve, they'll tell you, that, oh, yeah, they do that. <clears throat> Not all the time, but most of the time it's just cookie cutter. See, they, they do the same game over and over and over again. They only know certain plays. They're like basically a five-trick pony. So they they will automatically put in a challenge to jurisdiction, and what you have to do is not not get it all get all flustered. See, the, the thing is, is that they know you're emotionally involved here, and they play on that emotional. That's why that that uh, video of courtroom trauma is so important. And they're trying to push your buttons. They're purposely using dirty tricks uh, to push your buttons. But when you have an idea and you know what's going on, they go, oh, dude, this court doesn't have jurisdiction. I know what it was. Oh, my God, I know what it was. <laughs> now, oh, thank God. Okay, now now I can leave properly. Let me tell you what it was. I believe the way to address when, uh, if you listen to that recording of this week's, uh, to, I think it was today's or yesterday's, yeah, actually yesterday's, um, and Roddy, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but I did, and your honor listened to it. I found it interesting. Um, he was talking about IRS taxes and whatnot, and he came headlong again. The conversation came that you can't prove a negative. Okay, this is my assertion, and I've been doing some homework on this, and I started off mentioning and I never did, so you got the caveat. I believe that you can prove a negative in this manner. It's called a negative averment. And there's all sorts of case law in this. Look up negative averment. Start reading some case law and you get an idea. And it says specific averment, negative averment. Basically what negative averment is is where you make an accusation of something and you say that this is true, that uh, he has my my motorcycle and he got it from such and such and he has it in his possession right now or in his garage. Uh, Or... That they was that they that they sold this or they did that or they did it and they you don't have the evidence to back it up by doing a a a and study what a negative averment is you're making a statement to something that only they now in order to refute it because and negative averments are specifically for uh, instances where it is called uh, they have <clears throat> exclusive possession of information or evidence um, that would um, refute the negative averment. 
It's kind of like what I showed you when I asked the judge, have you seen the deed of trust? Her failure to answer constitutes that she has not, okay? So that's the same kind of strategy that we want to use, and that's how you get around the discovery, is you make an accusation that they ha- as to the information and that the information that's exclusive to them will prove out A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And the only way that that can be refuted is by them bringing forth documentation or evidence to the contrary. When they fail to do it, and you'll see, I put, if anyone's seen in my writing, I said, your failure, this is the hardest thing. I sent a letter to them and they didn't respond. I sent a letter to them and they failed. Well, what I do is the following. I put this at the bottom. Your failure to respond constitutes your admission that everything in this letter is true and correct. And I even added, and that you agreed to full liability thereof. So I'm creating a contract with them, essentially. If you don't rebut it and you don't prevent, uh, provide evidence to the contrary, then you're admitting it's true. And there's case law on that, too. So to me, the negative averment is the way to get around. If you know they're not going to give discovery, you know the court's going to protect them because they don't want to be exposed, do and you study it first. Do and use the negative averment because that way you make your accusation stand and there's not, a, and then you can request and immediately go for summary judgment because they have failed to respond in any way that creates a controversy. No controversy, there's your summary judgment. So that's re- super powerful, super powerful tool there. I don't know why other people haven't discovered it, used it, or shared it. I don't know, but I'm sharing it with you now, and that's probably worth a whole butt. So. Excuse me, Colin. Thank you. How, how do you spell that negative averment or? Aver, aver means to make a statement. A-V-E-R-M-E-N-T. To aver means to simply, uh, you're an asshole. I've just averred that you're an asshole. It's, it just merely, it basically means a statement. Okay. I just wanted to put it on the chat board. I'd like to put the odd thing that you're talking about, and it's, it's around the same time that you're speaking about it. So every once in a while, people will put you know, comments up about things you're talking about. So I didn't know how to spell avernment. A-V-E-R, aver, to aver, which means to, uh, it's basically the same thing as to assert, assertion. Okay. But they call it aver, to aver. Here, I'll look it up. Hold on a minute. Aver, averment. I went and put up averment. (laughs) A-V-E-R-M-E-N-T. Okay, I got it. Thank you. Okay, I just wanted to know. Hold on. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Janine put it up here too, Averment. All right, okay, just so we have the idea on chat. Because some people go to the chat board and look things up. And Yeah, and it, it's difficult to find negative Averment. They, they bring you over to, um, okay, it's called an affirmation or allegation. A formal statement by a party in a case of a fact of circumstances that the party offers to prove or substantiate. Now, I'm going to go to negative averment. I think there's an example here. Negative averment, legal definition. And I think actually Wikipedia has the best one for that, which I didn't, I don't have right now. Negative averment, pleading evidence, and averment in some of the pleadings in a case in which a negative is asserted. 
It is a general rule established for the purpose of shortening and facilitating investigations. Uh, there we go. That the point in issue is to be proved by the party who asserts the affirmative. Uh, da, 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 one Phil EV 181B Bull NP, I don't know what this is, 298. But as this rule is not founded on any presumption of law in favor of the party, but is merely a rule of practice and convenience. It ceases in all cases when the presumption of law is thrown into the opposite scale. For example, when the issue is on the legitimacy of a child born in lawful wedlock, it is incumbent on the party asserting the illegality to prove. Upon the same principle, when a negative averment involves a, chain, a charge of criminal neglect of duty, whether official or otherwise, it must be proved. For the law presumes every man to perform the duties which it, it, which it imposes. Uh, and that gives you a clue right there as to why it's so hard to prove is because they presume that these uh, people are doing what they're supposed to. You have to absolutely prove that they're not. And you can do that. And it's still not an example of what I was looking for, the negative environment here. Yeah, I can say they it's a I think it's a very, very powerful tool and they don't want uh people to use it because it is just that powerful. Well, excuse me, Colin. You know, Janine, she's she's right hot always on onto the computer and looking things up and she says it is not in Edom online on the dictionary. <laughs> Can't even find it. So but she's got some links up here, she's found it, but she's always typing things in, eh? But she says it's not in Edam Online dictionary. So, like you say, they they don't want another thing they don't want us to know about, eh? Yeah, it must exactly. be very powerful. So it's something for us to check into. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Super. Because, um, let me see here. Learn law. Let's see what comes up here with this one. I have a whole study that I did on it, but I'm just not. Pull, I wasn't ready to pull it up, uh, unfortunately. Okay. That's right. the term. A servant, uh, average Joe, a living sentiment being that a servant bearer, okay, uh, a vermin is not been, not seen or being provided any evidence that in, uh, this is not what I wanted. This is an um, there's, there's one. Oh, there's one here. It's got Webster's 1913 dictionary. Uh, oh, hang on. No, I probably missed that. Hang on. Got the wrong one. Well, Johnny was saying that AVER, A-V-E-R, is on Etym Online, or etymology. Um, so AVER, A-V-E-R, it's there, so great to know. Yeah, the, the biggest place that I found it was actually reading case law about negative averments. So you almost have to do... Uh, is to support a tort claim that's managed to do, 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 do negative affirmant. Research this is negative affirmant. Probably with the force. Okay, we're going to start here. See what comes up. I I should pull. I, I I have a whole file on it, but I don't have it at my fingertips. Okay, how is the use of affidavits and negative affirmants to call to cause cases to be dismissed pre-trial? Affirmant that's active. Of, Averring for that which is averred information. 
positive assertion. Negative averment stating that no such uh, blank, no such thing evidence is in my possession. No evidence exists that I was at such and such a location. So there's your negative averment. That's kind of, I try not to use the word no, but it looks like it's in a negative averment right here. I have to look it up. Negative averment is to state the, a negative. And I do that saying that the deed of trust is absent. So now, by me making the statement that it is absent any provision for, the law, the, the code of the statute is absent any regulating of, um, uh, any regulating of the, um, 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 what is it called, the uh, uh, um, vehicular travel, regulating of vehicular travel. Uh, so there's a negative averment. I've stated that it's, it's absent, it's lacking, it doesn't exist. And they have to now prove that what I just said, see, I've actually what I've done is turn a negative into a positive. It's an affirmative, but it's in the negative. I'm saying a negative thing, something does not exist. Well, obviously I can't prove that something doesn't exist, so I'm making it as a statement that it, that it is absent or without. So by making that statement, they now have to come back and prove that what I said is not true, and that's the power of it. And the beauty is, is that when I, when I, when you make that statement, and you put down right after it, that they have, the they are the only ones that are in possession. For instance, uh, a negative event in in, a, in a, it would be that uh, uh, one West Bank is without possession of the original note and deed of trust, and is also. Um, um, is is absent in any entitlement to payments under the note because I'm trying to not use the word no or not. Um, so there they would and and then followed up and say since they are the only ones that if they were entitled to payments under the note they would be the only ones with a record to show that they were entitled to payments and since they are the party claiming to uh, to be have the right to foreclose, they must have possession of the note and the deed of trust together, and that that is that is exclusively within their possession. So, when I make a statement, a negative averment, and I say that they they don't have it, that they are without it, I'm making a positive statement, which is actually of a negative, that they are without the note, without the deed of trust, and without the um, the um, entitlement to enforce any of it. Now I've made a statement of fact, okay? They now have to respond back and say, oh, yes, we do, but this time, because I've stated that the only way they can prove it is to show that they have it and to bring it into court and, and, to, and to provide the evidence, therefore. For instance, another negative would be is to say that uh, Brian Burnett ha- is without any authority to sign any documents on behalf of anyone that Brian Burnett is without any first-hand information. Same thing with the police officer. The police officer is without any knowledge that any activity of transporting of passengers or property over the highway for compensation was being engaged in prior to the traffic stop. Now he has to come back and say, oh, yes, I did have. Because if he doesn't come back and say that he did, and then he has to show, well, what evidence does he have? He first of all has to say that he does. It has to be an affirmative statement saying, "Yes, I did have knowledge that 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 car was in, or that vehicle was in motor vehicle was engaged in transporting a passenger property for compensation over the highway, because I happen to know it says right there on the side of it, and I looked it up and done it. It was a it was a one of the vehicles that's used for trans you know part of a business. 
he would have to show that evidence now because that would be exclusive, pretty much exclusive to him that he would have access to. And that's when it's extremely powerful is when the other party is the only party that has the information that you cannot prove. And when I go reading case law, and this is where I actually got this from, is that the court said that that's the way that the, whenever uh, information is exclusive to a certain to one party, the only way to get that is to do a negative affirmative. And so if a court was actually made that issue and said that that's how it had to be done, specific, and it called it a specific negative affirmative. And when I read that and I read some more case law, and it was like, holy crap, here's a powerful-ass tool, particularly given our situations. Example, there, that the, 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 the tax assessor's office is without any information or anybody who has firsthand knowledge of substantial real evidence that an activity, uh, a taxable activity is being engaged or was or has been engaged in on that property during the tax year. Now, that's a negative affirmation, isn't it? It's an affirmative statement, but it's stating that they are without something. And these documents or the proof or the evidence would be pretty much exclusive to them. Although if you were engaged in a business, then you would have evidence that you were in a business as well. But since you're stating you weren't engaged in any business act, taxable business activity during that period of time, so clearly you don't have any evidence, so they're the only ones making a claim, so therefore they must have the evidence in order to make their claim. And that's called what I call making them sit in their shit. They're making a claim. If anyone's ever played cards, you know, there's a, you go, you pass to the right, then you pass to the left, then you call sit in your shit. Whatever you got in your hand, you got to play it. It's the same thing here. They're the ones making a claim. People always miss this. Every single time, whether it's a tax or, or, or a foreclosure, they're the ones making a claim, and we miss it. And all, In fact, I think I mentioned this last time that I read a case which is beautiful where the court sat there and said a general denial is sufficient. A general denial is sufficient to deny every single thing that they said, including the fact that they said that there was a loan made. And I, and that's I say every time from now on, any time anything comes up, you do a general denial. And you can even do more specific, but a general denial, according to this case that I, that I was reading, and the whole case was about that, that the court said because they made a general denial as to the facts asserted by the other side, and then you could do a, a specific negative averment that not only do you generally deny all of their allegations and their assertions, but you're now going to do a negative averment or assertion. You're asserting that they don't have any evidence. And the reason is because that's almost like a counterclaim without doing a counterclaim. They are without any evidence, first-hand knowledge, testimony, affidavit, or anything else that they actually do have that they are without the, the note, that they are without the deed of trust, and they're without any right to, to enforcement thereof or any entitlement. Now they have to prove otherwise because that's your response. The same way you had to respond to them, they now have to refute and respond to you. Can I say something, uh, Colin? Sonia. Yeah. This reminds me so much of, of what Carl says, you know, like you blend together um, – I don't. I'm sure other others see it also, but I, I see it all blending together, and 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 just in a different, uh, a little different way. Like I see Carl saying, "Okay, uh, show me the contract. Okay, show me the contract. You know that that you and I have together, and if there is no contract, 
And also, like like you say, um, um, Carl used to, Carl does say that you know you just don't go out there and go after people. You wait for them to come and make a claim against you. Now, once they make a claim against you, then instead of in in the legal land, what they call it is is a counterclaim. Um, is is what you make a claim against them. You know, if, if they're claiming something against you or you haven't paid your property tax or you haven't done this or you haven't done that or they come into your whatever, you, you make some sort of a claim back at them, you know, whether it be trespassing upon my property or, or causing me injury or harm or whatever it may be. But, you, you, you know, just listening to what you were saying there, I, I can see the two just kind of blending together, but 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 in 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 kind of different little rows. Roads, you know, is it making sense what I'm saying? Because oh, absolutely, and the two are twined because oh, the only yeah, they are. They are. It's so cool. The only difference is instead of saying prove up, which is what they should be doing, but the courts are supposed to, when we say prove up, the courts just look at you stupid and cross up. What you're doing here is you're boxing them into a corner saying, you know what, you don't, I, I have every reason, was it knowledge, belief, uh, knowledge, understanding, and belief in all the investigation, everything I've done, that they not, not only, um, um, that they have no evidence that can show that an activity um, subject to the state was engaged in or subject to any taxable activity was engaged in. And the reason I phrase it that way is it's very specific and letting them know that we know that the only thing that is taxable is an activity. They cannot tax property unless there's an activity engaged on it. If you just simply say, you could, you could say, and I believe, you know, not only... Uh, you have to defend yourself. You say, well, I, I deny their accusation, general denial, and, and also say that it is uh, your belief uh, and knowledge of belief that they do not have any evidence to prove that you fail to pay any lawful taxes right. as, as uh, stipulated. Uh, and see, that there you go. So you are now being general denial as well as specific, that they don't, now you're turning the table on that you're not only saying that that you that that they that 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 there's no evidence that you uh, that there that you haven't made any payments. Their accusation is that you haven't paid taxes, and you turn it around and you say there's no that they don't that you not only you generally denying that, but you also now make it more specific, and that is that uh, they don't have any evidence that you have not paid any lawful taxes. And then the next one, there is no that they don't have any evidence, firsthand knowledge or evidence that an activity, a taxable activity was engaged in during the taxable year, which would cause them to have the right to, to create a tax bill in the first place. So now they're now you without doing a counter complaint, you essentially turn the tables on them. Mm-hmm. And if they fail to respond with any evidence, guess what? There's no there's no controversy here. I made a statement. They don't have any evidence. They've made an accusation. I've said it's false, and they haven't challenged it and proven otherwise. There's no, now that's what a summary judgment is. It's exactly the purpose of a summary judgment. They made an accusation. I turned around and said they don't have any evidence to it. They haven't argued it. They haven't presented anything. Summary judgment in my favor. Mm-hmm. Yes, sweet and simple. And there you go. Boom. That's kind of what I did on that criminal case. Two, two sentences. I just simply, at the first response was I have no knowledge. Next time I might say, not only do I not have any, not only I don't have any knowledge because I can swear to that, 
in a crime, that's the reason why that was worked in a criminal case is because they can't, they know that if I have no knowledge, they can't prove any kind of malicious intent. So if there's no malicious intent, there's no criminal intent. You see what I'm getting at? Because you have to have knowledge in order to have intent. Right. It defeated them with that one line. But in a civil case, I would want to back it up and say, nor do they have evidence of their claim. They have no first-hand knowledge, no testimony, no affidavit, and no, no substantial real evidence. And boom, now they have to prove up, don't they? And like I said, particularly in the foreclosure stuff and these tax things, they would have to prove up. And then, but what you've done is you've now guided the, the, the case to where you want it to go. You're now making a statement that no, that uh, under, and then you can bring in the statute. Now you use the statute to help you out because under the statute, every three years, somebody is required to physically go out to the property and see, and they think it just means to go look at the building. No, it means that they're supposed to go see what type of business activity under the CITIS is being engaged in that's taxable. And it can't do that. And, and, and knowing, and see, now you get them on that part. The second part is that, you, that there is no evidence that you know of, and they don't have any evidence that a business entity exists. And that they don't have any, as remember Steve said the other night, he says, how many people have tax returns just on their home? You don't. You don't have a tax return on your home. Well, we use the tax. We use the house for manufacturing this and that, and we made this kind of profits. That would be a tax return. And if you had a business going on in your house, you'd be required to make tax returns. They don't have any evidence of tax returns. They don't have any evidence of an application. That's why I get real specific of an application. It would have to be an application that was filed with the state to create a state entity. And that's why I use the elements necessary because if they can't prove up the elements, they can't prove they got a cake. And that's all I'm doing is I'm proving up the elements of, of a statute. In order for you to be taxed, you have to be engaged in the activities specified under the assessor's um, um, sheet. So you go through and say, there's, you know, instead of just saying there's no citus, you know, which is what he does, there's no citus for eating, sleeping, drinking, and screwing, you know, and taking a poop. I mean, this is all he does. You know, he, that's what he's saying. The only thing going on at my house is monkey business. It's the only business going on. And he's absolutely right in what he's saying, very precise. Instead, of, What I'm saying here, instead of just not only doing a denial, you also do a negative affirmative. And they don't have any evidence that any other activity other than monkey business was engaged in this property during that period of time. Oops, now we've got them. Because now they have to prove up. Because they now have to combat what you just said. Because if they don't, you say, no, summary judgment. I said they don't have any, I said there was no evidence no, that nothing was engaged in uh, that made it taxable. And that they don't have any evidence to the contrary. They haven't proved up any, to the contrary. So there's no controversy and end of story. Because it, And this goes to jurisdiction. Because the court doesn't have jurisdiction unless there's a controversy. So you, 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 you get them on all sides by doing this. You see how powerful this could be. Yeah. And if, if they ignore it, then, then they clearly, you know, the judge keeps on going and says, well, I'm going to find a favorite. What, what do you got? What's your finding of fact, asshole? What's your finding of fact and conclusion of law? You can't go and rely on the law because the law says that they have to have evidence. The law says that somebody has to observe, that there has to be a business activity engaged in. That's what the citizen is all about. You have to be engaged in either manufacturing or, you know, using, using it as a residential property. Once you understand residential property means that somebody, you're making money by, by leasing it out or you're taking a piece of property and improving the value of it uh, a whole lot more and, and making a profit. Everything has to do with making a profit. 
some sort of compensation or profit. And they turn that around. Well, the asset of your house, the the uh, the uh, value of your house goes up every year. But until you sell the house, you're not realizing that profit, are you? And is it profit? That's why I always tell people you always want to do work on your house so that any increase in value you can claim is due to your sweat equity and you're entitled to 100% of your sweat equity. And that's why it's important to do that. Well, sure, that makes total sense, yeah. It's it's not like you're doing it for a business. You you want to keep your place nice and you want it looking good and if you want to... And there's your maintenance. Yeah. Well, yeah, if all you did was maintenance, then you could deduct, you You want to sit there and say, okay, fine, and then you would make a bill and you would deduct all of your maintenance costs all that, all that time. Not only that, but then you'd also want to do the devaluation of the dollar. Yes, my house went up $100,000 in value this year or in the last two years, but guess what? Because of inflation, it's been killed by 50%, so technically I've lost value in my house. Well, we should we should be allowed to, you know, shouldn't we, Colin, be be allowed to make uh, make money? Like our labor shouldn't, as we know, most of us know. Or, or yeah, well, it's I, not I a matter. Of, it's not about a matter of being allowed. We are allowed because we have that right. It is a right. There's no yeah. allowing about it. It yeah, is we, a right. We should be allowed to, yeah. Um, you know, we go we go in labor, and and someone wants to give us a loaf of bread or you know, uh, whatever money or gold or whatever, you know, our labor, and we put it into our home. And well, I want to get you off of the word allow. It is a right that you have that <laughs> cannot be restricted or converted into a privilege. Yeah, yeah. It is your right. It's not allowed. They don't allow anything. The government has no business allowing anybody to do anything. We are the ones that grant and allow the government to exist moment to moment, day by day. Within one day, look what happened in Iceland. Within one day, if the people got together, the government would be thrown off in an instant. Yeah, yeah. It's not a matter of the government allowing. We, we, we've been programmed into thinking that. No, what it is is that we have that right and that we have the right to have that right protected. So you have these rights already. Gotcha. And that's, okay, and that's what he was saying. He was saying, look, even if you look at a taxpayer somebody who is engaged in a taxable activity, even a taxpayer, as defined, has exemptions for, guess what, husbandry, household stuff that you use just for living. All of that is exempt. So if a taxpayer has their home exempted from from tax, how much more does a non-taxpayer, as defined in the statute, have the right to not be taxed on their home. And that's probably the most powerful thing that I think he actually says because you now boxed him in. If a taxpayer is exempt from paying stuff on their home, their Homestead Act, under the Homestead Act, that you're where you live, the place you abode, is exempt from taxation, how much more to the one who's a non-taxpayer? And that's, they, they, there's no place for them to go now. And so this is a right that you have and that they're trying to deprive you of that right. And that's why I always say, is it your intent to deprive me of my right of blah, 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 blah? Is it your intent to deprive me of my right to freely travel? Is it your intention to deprive me of my property under color of law action? Is it your, is it your, your intent? See, now I'm going to intent. Is it your intent to deprive me of my right to peacefully enjoy my property? Go straight to intent, and intent is ten tenths. And if they're 
if they don't say uh uh uh, uh if, they, if they can't prove up, then they you have now got them admitting that they intended to deprive you of a right. And guess what? That's crime. You now have evidence of an, of an injury, and you've got them admitting it without ever saying anything. That's the beauty. When they go silent, when it, when an officer, any other agent, now you have the right to remain silent, but they don't. When you ask them a question that requires something in the affirmative, like I did with that judge, have you seen the deed of trust? This is, this is fundamental to a foreclosure. How can a judge make a determination of law and fact if they've never read the law, which is the deed of trust? And the fact that she didn't answer in the affirmative means that she has not read it. Same thing with a negative affirmative. I generally deny the following. Da-da-da-da-da. They have exclusive possession. If they, if they were entitled, they have exclusive possession of the note and the deed of trust and the evidence that they are entitled to payments under it. And under my, my belief, they do not have any evidence, testimony, or anyone who can affirm that they do, in fact, have it. They cannot bring it. They cannot bring it forth. And they don't have it. Because like I say, there's no provision under the deed of trust for this, 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 or this. And they're doing it. The evidence is on the record what they're already doing. I'm now pointing out that there's no provision within the deed of trust or the note for what they're doing. And they can't say otherwise. They can't prove up. Guess what? I win. Summary judgment. I wish I'd known this, you know, years ago because now I'm, I'm doing the collateral attack stuff and learning how to do that. But this is your evidence is laid out. When they just ignore your stuff, you have to put that down there. Your failure to respond, your failure to refute, your failure to provide documentation of your accusation constitutes that you don't have it. That's pretty simple. Excellent information. <laughs> it's a short and sweet, man. It's, it's you know, and, and that's what I did on that criminal case. Is I just sat there and said, no, I don't have any knowledge. Is basically saying you don't have any evidence that I do, which they didn't. They couldn't prove I had knowledge. In that case, the only thing for a criminal was knowledge. So I threatened, you know, I sat there, and they wanted to go to court. And I said, no, I'll do a summary judgment. And you can't do that. It's bullshit. So right here, do it, uh, 246B, any motion that can be addressed before the hearing. <laughs> well, a motion for summary judgment is something that can be addressed by the court. There's no argument. I made a statement. I have no knowledge. They haven't refuted it. They haven't rebutted it. They don't have any affidavit to the contrary. They'd have to bring a witness in. I have no knowledge of killing somebody. Okay? First of all, they haven't even shown that somebody's dead. That's why you have a general denial. Well, someone's, you know, you got a loan on such and such a day. Really? I deny that. And that's why I wanted to make clear everybody understood. You never got a loan. You never got a loan. You never got a loan. A loan is defined as somebody who gives something that they have to you with the intent of you paying it back to them, most of the time without interest and without any kind of extra benefits or payment. The only time is when with these, quote-unquote, these mortgage loans and, and other types of loans, which is for some reason allowed. But when you go first look up the definition of loan, the first five or six definitions says without, without extra payment or anything. A loan is a loan, like you loan your friend. Oh, can I borrow your knife? Sure, here you go. Okay, thank you. And they give it back to you. A loan is something that the other, listen to what it says, something that the other party has the ability to loan. Can you loan something you don't have? No. Well, you cannot. 
So we've got them on two things. One, they can't show they ever had it. Too loan in the first place. That's why I'm going to do a negative affirmative. That they never had any funds to loan in the first place. That's number one. They now have to going to show me that they had funds available that they could have transferred to me and could have loaned to me. That's number one. And then they're going to have to show that they did, in fact, give it to me, loan it to me prior to me signing the note in the deed of trust. I mean, yeah, and, and delivering the note of deed of trust. That didn't happen. And they got no evidence that they did. It's really that simple. Now, you can say, well, where did you got the now They're trying to convince you, well, we gave you the house. No, you didn't. Where's the house? In the deed of trust. Who put it there? You did. Go read your deed of trust. It says right there, you are lawfully seized of the deed of trust. You're the grantor. You're the creator. You put the res into the deed of trust. And nobody's challenging that, are they? Because if they did, they couldn't foreclose, could they? Because you're the one who put it in the deed of trust. So in order for them to come in under the deed of trust, the deed of trust must be valid. In order for it to be valid, you must have lawfully put the, note, the, the, excuse me, the, um, the property into the, into the deed of trust. So if you weren't lawfully seized of the property, then they'd be barking up the wrong tree. The deed of trust is void, isn't it? There's no resin there for them to foreclose on because you, you didn't own the property. The fact is you own the property when you made a contract, a lawful contract with a seller. When you had a meeting of the minds and you, you made an offer, counteroffer, offer, counteroffer, 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 finally you came, well, okay, I'm going to keep the sewing machine, I'm going to keep the, the washer and dryer and refrigerator, but you can have the microwave. Okay, whatever settlement you came to, you now had a contract with a seller and buyer. You were now lawfully seized of that property. When you signed that document, that property was owned by you in every sense of the word. You had now an obligation to make a payment. But the property was yours, and that's why you're authorized to put it into the, into the deed of trust. I did it years ago before I understood all of this. I understood basic logic. And I, when I called the, uh, the alleged lender, the bank, and I said, what did you, and listen to my wording, what did you give me in return for my note? Oh, we gave you the house. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. I said, hold on a minute. Did you ever own the house? No. But then how the hell can you give me something you never owned? Oops. Shut her up real fast. But if you're listening to my first question, what was it? What did you give me in return for my note? What did I just establish in law? I gave them something before they gave me something. So who did the loaning? I loaned them my note. I loaned them my deed of trust under false pretenses. Because I was supposed to get a loan first. My promise to pay is conditional upon me getting something from them. They don't have the money to loan, number one, or the funds. We call it funds. They don't have the funds to loan you in the first place, and they didn't give you or transfer anything in your name prior to you giving the note of deed of trust. End of story. You can say, oh, well, I got the house. No, you didn't. The bank didn't own the freaking house. Well, uh, the seller got paid. So what? What difference does it make if the seller got paid and everybody else got paid and everybody's, everybody got paid and everybody got laid and everybody got drunk? Who cares? What does that got to do with it? The only thing that matters is are they entitled to payments under the note? No, because they didn't give a loan. It doesn't matter who got paid or didn't get paid or how they got paid or, or who, who did whatever. That's immaterial. If you borrow money from me, does that mean that... that, that um, that you owe somebody else? No, you owe me. 
If somebody else loans you, if you sit there and give me a $50 bill and I go out and I get two 20s and a 10 and come back, did I loan you anything? No. And that's exactly what happened. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, it is a fact. You gave them the note and the deed of trust first. And it was at least a couple hours, if not days later, that the money was transferred or the funds were transferred to the other parties. And you don't know where those funds came from, do you? I do, but I can tell you one thing, it doesn't matter. For all you know, your grandma sit there and called and said, well, you know, I know they want to borrow the money, but I'm going to make the payments for them, so here you go. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you did not get a loan prior to you giving them the note and the deed of trust. Now, I happen to know that you gave them a $50 bill, and I happen to know that they deposited it into the bank, and I happen to know that they got full-face credit for it from the Treasury, and I happen to know that they then turned around and broke it down into different forms and sent it out on your behalf and made payments on your behalf. Because I happen to know that you're a creditor, because I happen to know that you're a creation of the Creator who created all things and gave everything to us. And I happen to know that the banks are a creation of man, and I happen to know that the, that the government's a creation of man. So we own it lock, stock, and barrel. We own all money, all funds, all anything and everything that was ever created by man. We own it. It's ours. The earth is ours. And everything on it is ours. They can't loan anything anyway. They got nothing to loan. We are the only ones that are creditors. We're the only ones that have anything, or we're the only ones that have any entitlement. Everything was created for us. What does Hale versus Hinkle say again? All corporations are creatures of the state. And all creations of the state are presumed to be for the benefit of the people. What? That's right. The state itself is there for the benefit of you. Would you create a government that's going to rob you and steal from you? No. What do you need a government to do that for? There's plenty of robbers out to do that. You'd be better off carrying a gun around and protecting your own property. And that's what that audio that I shared with you tonight, you want to listen to it because he breaks it down so beautifully. And we need to unprogram ourselves. How can you be anything less, anything other than a creator, anything less than a grantor? Your freaking name, it's your freaking signature, and it's the only freaking signature that's on that note or that deed of trust. Am I right? So who is the grantor? You're called the grantor? Yeah. Who's the creator? You are. And who's using it as an as a, a, as a, a instrument, uh, uh, as a security instrument, as well as using it as, as, as an underlying asset. They are. They're using your signature. Without your signature, they can't trade that piece of paper, can they? No, they'd be nowhere without us, wouldn't they? It'd be a blank piece of paper. It'd be worthless. They, yeah, they, they wouldn't exist, would they? Huh? They would not even exist without us. Yeah, I mean, as, as a negotiable or as a as an instrument, excuse me, as an, any kind of an instrument whatsoever, as an instrument that's negotiable, as an instrument having value, without your signature, it doesn't have it. Well, this is what I mean. Like the the government would not exist without without us, would they? You know, if we if we have absolutely, yeah, absolutely, the authorization of the of the treasurer of the United States, which signs every bill that's out there, five dollar, ten dollar, look at it. There's two signatures, Secretary of Treasury and the Treasurer. But the, who gave them the authority to sign anything? We did. They cannot debt judge. Nobody can do shit without our authority. 
without us granting that power. Which exactly is exactly why under Tilly you can rescind your signature. It's a common law right to rescind your signature on any document. Now, if the other party can show that as a result of your rescission, that they've been injured as a result of it, then they can sue you for reliance damages, subsidiary damages, consequential damages, and possibly even penalty damages. But that doesn't negate the fact that you have the right to rescind your signature. And that's what TILA is all about. You say, you know what? I didn't authorize this crap. I'm rescinding my signature. End of story. Your signature is gone. It doesn't exist on a piece of paper anymore. It's void. Now they've got to unwind it. That's why TILA is so powerful. They must unwind it. And the beauty about TILA is that it, it uses the term. It's very, very powerful. Well, you have three years. But it says very clearly three years from what? The time of consummation. It doesn't say from the time of the signing, from the time of the closing, from the time of the receipt. No, 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 no. It could use it could have used any one of a dozen or a hundred terms, and it didn't. It said consummation. What is cons? And it says not just consummation, but consummation of what? Not consummation of getting screwed. Not consummation of getting lied to. Consummation of what? The loan. What? The loan. What loan? The loan you never got. So if you never got the loan, there's no consummation, no statute of limitations. Hello? I know this stuff sounds goofy. Maybe I'm not saying it. Maybe I should talk in a really deep voice, really slow. <laughs> no, no, no. No, Colin, okay, you got you got, you got me just a, li- a little bit there, you know, and, and as you know, a lot of us have listened to Carl and and when you said when you mentioned about uh, okay, you've got three years to rescind your signature, or whatever. Now I know I've heard from Carl and and others that in common law there's no statute of limitations. Um, you know you can say oh, man's allowed to make a mistake or error or or whatever. So there there's actually in in common law, if a, if a man or woman knows how to do it correctly, um, there is no statute of limitation. You know, I don't know if that goes for everything or what. I'm I'm still a little confused, too, just putting the pieces together. But th- this is what bugs me a little bit, is, is in the statutory or in the administrative law, there's always a statute of limitation. Well, maybe not. You, you're telling us that there's not in specific things, but that that's what you know, uh, kind of grinds me a little bit is is in the statutory and the administration law, there's always a statute of limitations. But in common law, there there apparently is none. And right. That, that's right. interesting. That, that, that's, I just think that's kind of an interesting point. When you, read, when you read that case, the recent Supreme Court case, it actually states in there that the right to rescission is a common law right. And what TILA does, it doesn't remove that right, it extends that right. It accentuates and makes it even more available. But that, that's what you might call, you might, some people might call that a privilege, okay? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. rather a benefit, okay? Yeah. Uh, being that, that, that the Congress created an extra, an extra, a cherry on top of the right you already have, which is that you can go, 
um, under an administrative type of procedure under TILA, Truth in Lending Act, and that you have three years from the date of um, of the uh, consummation of the loan to do a rescission and to bring an action under TILA. It does not re- remove or diminish your right under common law. It's just that you couldn't come, on, come in under TILA. So you may not get the same support that you would get under TILA. Right. People don't understand. Right. It's like I have a rowboat and I've got two oars. And I just happen to have an Evinrude on the back. Now, Evinrude will last as long as I have fuel. But if I'm way out in the middle of the ocean because a storm blows up, there is still nothing stopping me from pulling out those oars and rowing for the next 20 days. The Evinrude's out of gas. Statute of limitations, out of gas. I don't get the privilege of, you know, going 15, 20 miles an hour across the water. Now I'm like, sluice kablosh, I'm I'm rowing this boat, but I'm going to make it. It's kind of like the same concept with a loyal title. You own property in your own right. You could own it in other ways as well. You could own it as a person, a business can own it. That has all sorts of regulations, but as a common law right, you have the right to own it, and you do in, in this country own it alloidally unless you put it into some other business entity. Mm-hmm. So we always have those other statutorial things as an accentuation. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? I have a rifle with a bayonet on it. I ran out of ammunition. Well, I guess the rifle's no longer. I can't use it as a gun, but I can still use it as a striking thing. I can hit him with a butt. I can hit him with a knife part. Mm-hmm. Put the bayonet on there. You know, or another way to look at it is if you're into airplanes, you know, it's like, okay, I always make any time I design something, I design it so that it might have electronic. Almost all your planes have electronic controllers now. It's electrical wires. Well, if electrical wire gets cut, you're screwed. But what you have is what's called a redundant system or a backup mechanical, and even in the hydraulic system, you still may have a redundant backup cable system, which you have to, that's why you see on these planes, when something doesn't work, you'll see an emergency, the guy's grabbing this crank, he's opening up a thing in the floorboards, and he's cranking this crank, and he's cranking physically, cranking down the, the worm screw uh, to cause the lane, the gear to come down, instead of the whee, electric motors. Think when you think this way, common law is the backup, the the assurity, the physical hardwire system, the worm gear that you can always rely upon. That is common law. The Evinrude and the electrical motors, all that stuff is convenience. And it's extra, it's on top. You're not it's a right you have to use that Evinrude if if you want to use it. Mm-hmm. But when it runs out of gas, it runs out of gas. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what I, I hope you don't mind, Colin. I'm I'm not challenging you, and you know I oh, no, I, I enjoy yeah no I enjoy listening to you, but so, so much that you say brings to my mind what Carl says too. And like I said, I I know that um, uh, a lot of our friends here are confused because mm-hmm. um, they've been listening to Carl, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. and a lot of common law conversation. Now we're into the statutory and the acts and. Um, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, like I've been saying for ages since you and I have been, been speaking, is I, I believe strongly um, about knowing these statutes and acts because, like I said in common, I know they use them too. They talk about the First Amendment, this amendment, that amendment, which I don't know, <laughs> all these amendments. And, yeah, they're powerful. These are all tools 
that we can use to our benefit. And if, if one doesn't work, there's more. There's not just one. <laughs> uh, we're definitely not arguing. We're totally on the same wavelength. Yeah, and I'm yeah. just accentuating. I'm just pinging off what you said. And, and, and Yeah, per- no, I appreciate that. And me too. So I, I'm just um, thinking too that I know that you, you were saying a ways back that, um, you know, the common law you'd like to learn more about too. So I'm just kind of throwing in two little bits and pieces here that things that I've learned. And if anyone else wants to throw things in, you please do. You know, we just put all this stuff together and, and just make a stronger tower. In my eyes, is you know why I'm, well, why I'm me, mentioning whatever. When I you read statutes, what you realize is this: it was such a necessity as a common law right that it was put into writing. That's how I look at it. The common law right is the source of all statutes and laws. Mm-hmm. That is that. So they, you, it, it's kind of like the people. You can't, you cannot remove the people from government. You can remove government from the people, but you cannot remove the people from the government because the government collapses. If you remove common law, there's no need for statutes anymore because common law, common, uh, all statutes, rules, codes policies and everything all come from, they derive from the principles of common law. And the right and, and the whole principle of statutes and codes are in order to protect the people. When you create these fictional entities that have no conscience, common law relies upon a conscience. These entities, these corporate entities, have no conscience. Well, we don't want everybody to be subject to all of these stupid statutes, rules, and regulations, so we, but we have to make these laws to regulate the the, the 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 corporations, the state, the all the different positions in the, that 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 are held by the state, the president holds is obligated to slightly different all of the ones before, right? Now you've seen this in pleadings where it says everything from section one through thirty six are hereby incorporated as if it had been incorporated, so you don't have to repeat it. And on top of that, we have this. It's the same thing. The president is subject to all of the things that everybody else is, and he's also subject to this and this and this. Same yeah. thing with the senators. They're subject to this and this and that and this. The same thing with all these corporations. Now, you and me, we're not. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do only with them. But it has to do with us because it is the laws that are established to protect us. And then yeah. there's other, other ones that are there which are laws as to how these two different entities for these persons shall conduct business with each other. Now, what's happened is that they've they've now made us a person. And that's the fight that we're having. Common law man has a right to common law as a living man, a living being. But an entity has almost as many rights, but not quite as many. And that's what all the administrative stuff is. They're not even, and what I'm saying is, they're not even following the rules of engagement, if you want to call them that, for persons. Even if we were persons, even if we were an entity, it still says that we have the right to due process of law. When you read Hale versus Hinkle, you go, holy crap, a corporation has almost as many rights as the people do. They have almost as many rights, but here's what's interesting. They don't have near as much power, and this is the key. The people have a common law power as long as their common law rights, Okay. Corporations and businesses and persons have limited, expressly, expressly means only that which is expressed and authorized, expressly limited powers. 
even though they have the privilege of enforcing many of the same rights that the people have. You see the difference? So when we use statutes, we're saying, hey, even if we were a person, you're still doing it wrong. Even if we are the lowest on the lowest of the lowest of the totem pole, as, as Steve likes to say, even if you're homeless living under a bridge, you, they, you still have rights, no matter what. Even if you're a corporation, even if you're a business entity, you still have rights. Even if you have a person, the right to be secure in your person. Do you see how important that is? Yes, I do. And the reason that I'm yelling this over and over again is because it's all saying the same thing, but the fact is is that they are engaged in criminal acts. And when I use statutes and laws because I can point to it and say, guess what? That activity is written down and is prohibited. That activity is prohibited. That activity is prohibited. Here it's not authorized. You have not been authorized to do what you're doing. That's very different. In common law, that's it's just, hey, I got it right. And here I'm saying, this says that I can sue you. See, 42-1983 just simply says that you have the right to sue somebody for infringing on your right. That's all it is. It's not mm-hmm. a magic bullet. It's an operation in law in the legal system that allows us, one of the people, to sue them under, the, under their common law, yeah. under their statutes, under their rules, under the United States Code, under the United States Constitution. So we as, we're engaging in our common law right to be to peacefully enjoy and have our rights secured and enforcement of contract. And at the same time, we're saying we've been injured. Listen to how it's said here. I've been injured. And as a result of the negligence or gross negligence of this entity that violated this clearly written statute, ordinance, rules, whatever it is, I have been injured. What it is is just merely evidence that they were violated. Not only did they do the injury, there's no doubt, but they also violated their duty and their obligation and their, their, remember what I read a little while ago, that the supervisor or the principal, which is the state or the county, has an obligation to manage their employees or their agents. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones with the deep pockets. So you're showing that they are responsible under contract, just like you would any other corporation, you have to go to the corporate charter in order to sue a corporation and say, hey, they were duty-bound and obligated to ensure that their agents didn't do this, and they did, and here's the law or the statute that says they were bound by it. They couldn't do that, that there's no provision in, in the law for them to do what they're doing, and therefore they're acting outside of their charter. So my common law right is always existing I'm just using the sword and the shield of the statutes and the United States Code and the Constitution to, to show that they violated basically contract law and, that's, and I was injured as a result. Mm-hmm. So you have a double breach there instead of just a single breach. Oh, you kicked me in the knee. I can actually say, not only did you kick me in the knee, but you violated a law at the same time, which carries jail time. And that, that's where you, it's just like adding, um, it's like the difference between a, a, a single shot, you know, it's like a, a BB gun versus a thirty caliber machine gun. The statutes give you that much more power. Instead of ping, ping, ping. Now, you know, 
I could probably kill you with a BB gun because I know exactly where to shoot you in your eyeball to, to, to take you out. But you have to be a really, really good shot, okay? But if I got a thirty caliber machine gun, I can pretty much, as long as I hit you once or twice, probably chances are, you, you know, you're going to die fairly soon. You know, that's maybe another way of putting it. It's the weapons, it's more weapons that we use. Right, right, yes, yeah. To secure our common law rights and and the protections of those rights, which which we have, I call them unalienable rights, but you know, common law rights, they're there. Yeah, unalienable. And, power. Yeah. and no, we I, have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. No, I I totally understand what you're saying. And you know, a, as you were speaking these things, you know, I thought maybe in uh, another way of explaining it also is uh, what me what I think about. You know, we've got all these these man statues and acts and and rules and regulations and things too. So, if you jump over you know, over the fence into common law, like even even men and women in common law, they have their common law, um, like they they do in the ju- judicial and administrative law. Like in common law, um, most claim that God's you know their their creator, the the one that has made the laws in common law, but they know. They shall not steal, they shall not lie, they shall not murder, they shall not rape, they shall not take another man's uh, wife, you know, so that even even in the common law, there's all these particular rules in, you know, the the, the, the laws laid out in the the conscience, in the heart, and in God's laws. So uh, just to add to what you were saying there, Colin, like, put all these laws together and you put them into your heart and your mind and, and work them, um, you know, we've, uh, yeah, the, the world would, would be a, a wonderful place if, uh, you know, we could um, keep wor- working all these laws and, and show people and, and say, hey, the, the, like Jesus said, it's written. And, and same in the statutory and the administrative law, it's written. Is what you're saying, Colin? It's in the statutes, it's in the statues and the acts. It is written. Wow, that's that's you said everything that it took me two hours to say in in one sentence. It is written. Wow, wow, powerful. Well, thank you, Colin. It just all the things you say. You know, everybody else gets some ideas in their mind and. The only thing I was saying, if I can add to, and and, and don't, that's no, powerful. I, I, remember I, that. I'm going to remember that because that's just super powerful. But I was going to say under the Tilla thing that it does use the term specifically uh, uh, consummation of the loan. And that's the reason I mention that is for people to, to understand that there is a statute of limitation, but it is conditional upon what? You see, conditions are so important in any in law and in contract. Now, um, I think in common law, I don't think there's too many conditions. Thou shalt not kill. You know, although most although there could be a condition unless your life is threatened. Well, it doesn't say that. It just says thou shalt not kill, right? So you don't find. I think one of the things in common law, you don't find a whole lot of conditions. Whereas in statutes and codes and rules and regulations, you find conditions many times. Yeah. And those conditions must be followed. So when it says that there's a statute of limitations of three years from the time of consummation, that's a condition. So if there was no consummation, then clearly there is no statute of limitations. See how beautiful that is. Okay. And guess what? It is written. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Yeah. <laughs> That's my new mantra. And on that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and close out and say thank you so much because you just said it in one beautiful short phrase. It is written, people. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Colin. It's but, it's been a hoot. And thank you so much for covering for me because, um, like I said, I would <laughs> appreciate it so much. So, Thanks. friends, okay, call. I'll let you go, and and I'll see if our friends have anything else that they want to talk about. And, and uh, yeah, I'll read your email. I, I checked it out. It is a long one, as yours usually is, so I have to read them two or three times, but loaded with information. I need, a high, I need to learn how to run a highlighter in the email, which I don't know how to do yet, but... I'll learn. Anyway, thanks, Colin. Maybe he's already gone. I'm talking to myself here, friends. Yeah, I think he headed out. Hi, Aaron. I see Aaron's on. And Eric, guests, many guests. Cheyenne, my friends, I'm pooped. What about you guys? Time Wizard, Janine, Johnny, and everybody that's came. Yeah, it's it's been a great call. Lots of chat, and I haven't had a chance to look at everything, but it looks like pretty excellent, uh, valuable information. I'm just looking at the chat now. <laughs> Idioti asking, is Bob still up? Bob's been really good. Where are you, Bob? Are you still on? Still on or not? Bob's been good. You guys leave Bob alone. <laughs> anyway, there's not too many on the phone this evening. That's it. Aaron's on. But Aaron's muted. Aaron might not even be uh, on the phone. He might be working on something. He's a busy boy. Anyway, friends, if no one else has got anything to talk about... I'm going to call it a night. Three hours, three and a half hours is a good call, you know. Like I said before, if, if you know, if, if uh, newbies want to come and visit the show, or not newbies, just friends that haven't gotten to listen to it and want to come back, you know, three hours is plenty for a talk show for for any anyone in their right mind, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned in my right mind, uh, because my mind just can't take any much more than that, you know. Uh, Lots of information. You'd have to listen to the call two or three times. Thanks, Hidioti. Thank you very much um, for your information on uh, uh, Rick's Rick's call there. Yeah, about Angela, I'll have to get back to her show on traveling. Thank you for Push me around there and let me know about that. Okay. Your sweetheart, thank you. Hi, Bob. Yeah, Bob's there. He's here. Hi, Bob. Thanks for coming. Hope uh, hope you got some information, you know, some knowledge. Okay, everybody. Blessings. God bless you all. And, and um, even God bless the one that was coming on and causing trouble. Like I said... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times I had to delete that one off the chat. So hopefully, um, you know, maybe this one's learned something. Like we're a friendly group here. You have to come in and cause trouble. We're gonna come in and do it to our faces. 
coming out in me. Anyway, night, everybody. God bless. Talk to you on Skype or next week.